Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Cast Dice, the podcast that explores the great big wild world of tabletop gaming that we are currently in. My name is Brad, aka Old Man Morin, and this is a podcast that explores the idea that we are in the middle of a gaming renaissance. Uh, it has been said many times that there are just so many good games we can play right now that it's sometimes hard to know how we can spend our hobby time or our hobby dollars and make the most of, you know, fun in our lives. If you are as passionate about tabletop gaming as I am. Now, uh, on this show, we like to have people on who talk about the games that they're passionate about, like to talk about industry events and, you know, big events that are happening in the gaming world. Now, today is a very special episode of Cast Ice. Uh, and that's very special for a lot of reasons. But before I get into sort of the introduction of the show and what we're going to be talking about today, I think it's important to uh, introduce an old friend of mine to the show, someone whose voice you probably know if you are into gaming podcasts. And, oh man, it is a treat to have this man on. You will know him as one of the new voices on the Dwellers Below podcast since Age of Sigmar 2 has dropped. He is officially part of the Dwellers crew uh, in addition, he is, you know, while we're being on controversial podcasts, occasionally controversial in its own way in the bolt action world, the Bacon Burgers. Um, so not only is this man sort of part of the new wave of the dwellers, he has been on the Bacon Burgers for God, over a year now uh, and is just not only a wonderful human being, but is also a really analytical gamer in the fact that he, you know, is great with numbers looks at sort of efficiencies and you know how to do that, but also have fun at the same time, if that makes sense. Anyway, I'm making this introduction way too long. Regardless, I am very happy to bring the one and only Lockie. Lockie M, uh, what's the hashtag, Lockie? Uh, hashtag... Uh... Gossip Mulch Cakey XOXO? Yes, that one. Um, some sort of <laughs> gossipy... Uh, so you're controversial in the Age of Sigmar world, aren't you? Oh, oh look, um, yeah, look, there was a few things that I did um, when I first came onto the Age of Sigmar scene about oh, probably six months ago, eight months ago, uh, that, um, you know, coming from, you know, a long history of playing Warhammer Fantasy Battles um, in 8th edition... Uh, to Age of Sigma, so uh, I think there was a you know a different crowd and everything, and people might have reacted to a few of the things that I might have said a bit uh, you know interestingly. So mm -hmm. uh, I copped a lot of flack on on Twitter on that. That was um actually a lot of fun causing oh. a bit of drama, but um no, it was all all in jest, and um I'm I'm not actually that uh, gossipy in real life. No, no, <laughs> I did figure that you were leaning into a little bit. It seemed like you were a little tongue in cheek. Uh, for those who haven't met Lockie in person, he pretty much has the definition of what we would call in Australia the cheeky grin. Um, and uh, I could just imagine your face with some of those tweets going, oh, yeah, I see what you're doing there. But people who had never met you overseas, for example, sometimes took that the wrong way. Oh, yeah. And, you know, yeah, like it's always fun to, you know, throw a little bit of fuel on the fire and that kind of thing. But um, it might have gotten a bit of out, out of hand. But um Luckily, the other Dwellers boys uh, gave me a chance to be on the on the show um, mm -hmm. recently. I've been on a few times, and uh, that just you know gives me a platform to spill more crap. That's great. Yes. <laughs> Excellent. Well, as I was saying, and uh, I will happily, hopefully, say again in the future. Welcome to Cast Ice. It is a pleasure having you. Thanks, Brad. Um, it, it, yeah, it was great to um, listening to that intro um, live rather than on a stream for once. So. <laughs> you mean uh, watching well, me choke in person? <laughs> 
Yeah, but basically. How many takes of it? No. Uh, uh, to be fair, that was only one. But uh, yeah, one of these know. days, I got to pre-record that intro. Well, we are not here to talk about Age of Sigmar today. We are here to talk about bolt action. Now, as I mentioned, you are part of the Baconburger crew, um, sort of the newer generation. You, JL, uh, our good man Ruben, Tristan, uh, you know, you guys are sort of doing uh, a more uh, scene-specific look at bolt action um, than a lot yeah. of other podcasts, um, sort of the Melbourne scene and some of the other um events that happen sort of near here uh really interesting stuff man i love it i love the inclusion of you guys to the show um sort of the the second generation of bacon burgers not that i didn't like the first one but the <laughs> the second one i think there's a, a nice as as we've talked about before a nice variety of voices with differing opinions and i think it makes for rich conversation yeah, I mean, I think um, we're, we've really hit our stride, I think, recently. I think um, with the four of us, we've all come from kind of different hobby backgrounds. You know, some of us are more like, you know, fluffy kind of hobby gamers. Um, and then a couple of us are like, yeah, more just like, you know, more on the competitive side or mm -hmm. more looking, you know, to actually, you know, play, uh, you know, a bit properly. But, we, you know, we all kind of blend in um, with different shades. But it's all, it's all just the different perspectives, I think, that is um, – that, that is most valuable uh, just the yeah the different perspectives in terms of um showing different opinions on bold action yeah definitely and i think you are kind of the middle ground of that show um i mean you've definitely played competitively in the past and you've played competitively uh recently in other game systems um but i know you also like to run a nice fluffy list Mm -hmm. um, in bolt action in particular. So I thought you would be the perfect man for today's show um, where we're going to be looking at some hard numbers. Not to mention, I know in the Age of Sigmar world, um, a lot there's a lot of pre and post uh, event analysis where people look at lists and sort of look at the, the interactions of the units and look at the percentages and talk about what armies are winning, what armies aren't, what players are winning, what players aren't. Um, and so I thought you would be a, a great person to have on today to talk about CanCon, but specifically Bolt Action. Now, you were at CanCon this year, uh, but you weren't playing Bolt Action, were you? Uh, yeah, I was. I was actually um, playing Age of Sigma um, because, uh, you know, like a bunch of my mates are going up, um, all the Dwellers crew and everything. Mm -hmm. um, and it's actually the biggest Age of Sigma tournament in, um, in the world, I think, with uh, about 200 players. Yeah, man. Um, was, you know, like, and when I saw all those tickets going, um, like, was I sold the first 150 tickets in probably 12 hours or 24 yeah, hours or something, something ridiculous like that. Um, so when I saw all those tickets going like that, I was like, no, I can't miss this. I have to have to go do it. And, you know, I had a lot of fun um, uh, at CanCon, like hanging out with all the boys, but I'm not sure the, um, actually playing Age of Sigma was that fun for me. So I actually kind of regret it a little bit. I wish I played, um, I played Bold Action uh, with a couple of my mate, a couple of my other mates who were going up, like mm -hmm. Adam Kaffar and Robbo and uh, Lee Avery and those kind of boys. Yeah, dude, those are all solid dudes. I uh, I have likewise gone up and played. Uh, there was a year that I went up and played 40k. I think instead of Bolt Action, maybe instead of Fantasy. And I just remember thinking, Oh <laughs> God! After the first game, after the second game, after the third, after every single game, why am I doing this? Uh, <laughs> and yeah, I just went back to it. Um, now, sorry, go big, ahead. Sorry. It's a, yeah, it's a big decision. Like, or, you know, it because CanCon is generally like a six month kind of lead up thing and you're like, Oh, you know, there's so many different options. You can only really play one game unless 
maybe play something on the Monday, like for a day, but uh, mm-hmm. you know, like you want to play in one of the big events for the Saturday, Sunday. So, and they are big events. I mean, we, we're talking about just now age of Sigmar being maybe the largest, uh, age of Sigmar event. Sorry. CanCon being the largest age of Sigmar event in the world this year. Mm-hmm. Um, likewise, I mean, that's huge. Um, and, but also likewise in the bolt action world, CanCon has traditionally, and, I anticipate, at least for the near future, will continue to be Australia's largest bolt action event. And it is nothing to sneeze at. Um, We had 70 players this year, 70 official players. There were, I think, more prior to the event and a few dropped. Um, So, I mean, that is that's serious numbers. And every year it grows. I know there was talking uh, talk a year or two ago. Is bolt action slowing down? Is you know, are we seeing the end of it? Um, are the campaign books hurting the growth of the game? Um, a lot of the old guard are leaving, um, doing other things. I mean, I personally haven't played in CanCon in maybe three years. Um, so I, I know there was a lot of talk about, you know, older generations of people not coming back. Will new people step in? And they did, and they have. Uh, and I've recently been talking a lot to um, the fine gentlemen at War and Peace Games and they were saying that sales for, um, you know, bolt action, yeah, they did slow down a little bit. Uh, I mean, they hardly ever stopped. But recently, there has been a massive, and when I say recently, I mean six to seven months, there has been a massive upswing in sales. So I think the game state, in Australia at least, is, is still going pretty damn well. So that's that's pretty encouraging, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's pretty healthy. And um, I also don't think it's a bad thing if um, players come and go. You know, you talk about the old guard kind of yeah. like, you know, some of the old guard leaving, which but that happens in a lot of games. Like you saw that um, from uh, in one fantasy from seven to eight and yeah. you see it um, in X-Wing from first to second edition and like a whole a whole totally. range of games. Um and you know, it's uh, as long as you can bring new players into the game, it doesn't it doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing if older players are leaving, mm-hmm. um, because uh, uh, you know th- these games you can't you know this uh, there's so many good games as you say every time in your in your cast yeah. right so there's there's a lot of different games that you know older veteran players might want to go to if you know they if they feel the game's a bit stale but that doesn't mean that the sta- uh, the game's stale for other people totally. Yeah, and I'm, I know, having spoken to some of the quote-unquote old guard, um, that some people were concerned. Um, I know that came up last year after CanCon, and I know that people were talking about it again this year. Um, and it, it's funny how some people go to these events, and I think it depends on the run of people they play. Some people say, oh, every list this year was veteran. Everyone <laughs> I played against was playing against a veteran army. Or, oh, I played nothing but heavy howitzer and cheese. Or, oh, I played nothing but fluffy lists. And it's hard to get that holistic, fact-based view. Um, And it's something that I've talked about in my post and pre-CanCon run-up, because I always have something to talk about the event, for literally seven years. And this year... I wanted to do something a little different, um, albeit I wasn't there, as I've said. Um, mm-hmm. But I, 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 I spoke to Pete West, um, the TO of CanCon, and this was his last year. He's stepping down, um, which is, you know, a little scary given how involved he's been. Um, well, he's been doing it for a long time, hasn't he? Yeah, he has. Uh, and I remember Pete West. So, in fact, Pete West's first event 
was the last time I went to CanCon. It was amazing as, you know, as his debutante appearance. Um, and yet after that, he just got better and better and better. And I know a lot of people have said, oh, you quit the scene. Um, I've recently had some people come talk to me about that. And I may bring that up on another show. But my not going to CanCon has a lot more to do with me having ancient dogs and starting work the next day. Um, my school year starts the day after CanCon. It has a lot less to do with my feelings about the game. Clearly, I love Bolt Action. I'm still casting about it. Um, but anyway... I thought it would be interesting to contact Pete and to see if we could actually talk hard numbers. So Pete sent me a list of every army list that went to CanCon this year. And I am not the most Excel savvy guy ever. Um, and I'm not really a data guy. Um, I mean, I use data as a primary school teacher quite a lot. Um, but I've recently been taking a course through Harvard, um, because clearly I have enough free time in my life, um, about data management, about assessment, how to, how to properly compile um, data in a meaningful manner, and to not just make snap assumptions about the data that's in front of you, actually doing a deep dive on the data in a meaningful way that will lead to growth in children, um, you know, academically. Mm -hmm. And I thought I would use that sort of those philosophies and some of the strategies from that in analyzing the data from CanCon. So this has taken me about five weeks and eight to 10 hours to put together. Um, and so I'm a little curious to see how it all works. And so please bear with us today, guys, as I'm <laughs> experimenting. And Lockie, thank you so much for coming on and dealing with my spreadsheet. Um, but we are going to look at every single list at CanCon this year holistically. Now, a lot of times people have talked about what the Australian scene is, what kind of things you see here and what you don't see here, but you often hear them talking about that overseas. The British guys, the Scottish guys in particular, love to talk about how much terrain we have on our tables and the lists we take. Um, well, today we're gonna talk about exactly that. The percentages of lists that had medium mortars, the uh, percentages of lists that were playing British. I can talk about everything because I have it all. Um, and so Lockie and I are going to go through sort of line by line and demystify this process and make it factual and just talk about what you what you could have seen at CanCon this year as sort of a slice in time of bolt action in Australia right now. Now, you might say, well, that was months ago. How is that going to help me now? Well, WinterCon's coming up shortly. For those of you who are in Australia, this might give you an idea of what you might see there. Um, Lockie, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I'll just uh, so I was poring over the stats last night. It's really interesting. Some of you know the takeaways, you know, like how many so of you know things like medium mortars and snipers and stuff um, were seen, and also just like uh, how many of the minor powers were represented. That kind of thing um, is always really interesting to see. Um, I think it's probably worth noting as well, though, um, that of course this is a small sample size. It is the yes. biggest event in Australia. Um, and, but, you know, so like you, you, you almost have to take this, you know, what it is, but don't, uh, inflate it for what it's not. Um, and finally, what I will say is that, um, CanCon is generally in Australia from what I've heard is where people take, um, a little bit stronger lists and stuff because it is the biggest event in, in Australia. 
Um, so, I mean, it's not necessarily representative of what, of what you might see in Victoria, which where people run a little bit softer lists or, um, you know, or elsewhere in Australia. Yeah. Well, I, I yes, I, I, I think you and I are going to have some, uh, some agreements and disagreements across this episode. Um, a lot of the people I know who run to CanCon typically don't take the aggressive lists because of the player pack that Pete West puts out and sort of the expectation that, you know, people come to have fun and have a good time. But I know some people do. Um, I, I think maybe we're talking to different people, um, but who are going to the same event, which I think shows a nice cross section. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, for sure. I, think, well, I mean, with 70 people, um, you're always going to get like, you know, different people who are coming for different reasons. Like, you know, the CanCon is one of those events. And this is for, for all games I find at CanCon. It's like, People come to CanCon as their one event for the year. Um, so they, you know, they're not playing competitively or they just want to, you know, they want to roll some dice and catch up with their mates. Mm -hmm. Whereas you might have a, a couple other, um, couple of dozen other dudes who are there to like actually, you know, try and compete and win. Yeah. Yeah, definitely, man. Um, well, let's get into the nitty gritty because I think um, we've been talking now for about 15 minutes and I think it's probably about time that we start talking hard numbers. Um, for sure. Now, I know that, people are always interested in the the breakdown between majors and minors um, as far as nations. Now, what's interesting is, um, and the first thing that jumped out at me was how many minor power armies were at CanCon this year? Um, I mean, we're talking 71% of armies were the US, the UK, Germany, and Soviets, which leaves 29% to cover everything from Italy to Bulgaria to Australia to Romanians. I mean... It was all sorts of great stuff in there. What I found most surprising was in that huge list of nations, no Japanese players. Yeah, they did. Uh, there was no Japanese at all, um, which is surprising considering, you know, like they're such an iconic kind of um, yeah. uh, force, particularly, uh, particularly in the Pacific, obviously. Um, but that, that's pretty indicative as well. Like in Victoria, we don't see many Japanese at all. So maybe it's just a you know, people in Australia who want to play Pacific lists are obviously playing the Australian army, which have, have yeah. this four of them. Um, I don't know if any of the U S lists were like Marine lists or that kind of thing, but there was one Marine list, uh, one. and it was a Marine Raider esque list. Mm -hmm. Um, it was a very, so let's, let's get into that. So there were 12, uh, American players at this event. So that makes up about 17% of the field. And of those, 11 of those were sort of plain Jane, regular American armies. Um, interestingly, um, you know, and I know a long time ago, the last time I went to CanCon, almost every American list had, you know, the obligatory air observer. Of course, that was in first edition. Um, this event there was over the 70 players, there was only one player that had an air observer, and that was an American player. Um, a different American player uh, had, as I said, Marine Raiders. So it was largely, that list was largely made up of Marine Raiders. Um, I believe there was some engineers in there, and there was a Marine dog team, which was very cool. Um, but otherwise, the other 11 lists were just American lists. And interestingly, most of those were plain regular. Um, and we'll mm. get into veterancy in a minute. 
But a good chunk of those were, a majority of those units were regular, as in the main squads. Um, most of those squads had two bars in them, although there were three that had um, sort of a mix or a single bar per squad. I think it depended on what they were shooting for theme-wise. And not all the documents that came to me had the theme attached, so I was assuming in some cases. Um, Lockie, do you have any observations about that? I mean, it's not it's not super surprising. I mean, U.S. infantry, like just regular guys, are really efficient because of their um their their special rule that they mm -hmm. don't have to pay penalties to move and shoot. Um, but that that said, you know, like paratroopers are really strong. So I mean, like, were there, there weren't many paratroopers there. Uh, like, I am. I did miss my notes. The paratroopers are further down. There were several U.S. paralists. I um or lists that had involved um U.S. paras. Um, we should talk about special rules. Um, so of the lists at CanCon, 13 of them, or almost 20%, had the stubborn rule. Um, now, what's interesting is um, when there was a list that involved stubborn, usually 50% uh, or more the or the entire troop component of that list was made up of stubborn units. Um, so themed paratrooper lists, for example. Units that right. have lots of stubborn. Um, there were a few that had one or two units, um, and so that played in with a lot of the American lists. There were some mixed lists that had some regular and then some paratrooper, for example. Um, but generally, uh, a lot of American players stuck to the theme. Yeah, for sure. And stubborn's a really interesting um, special rule because a lot of the time, like it, it doesn't, it might not come into play. You might feel like you're paying points for nothing. Um, but then like other times it's like, if you've got a few pins on that unit and it's taking, you know, morale checks because it gets hit, hit by a flamethrower or, or HE or something, mm -hmm. um, it can really make it, its points back in spades. Yeah. Uh, one of my regular opponents, I mean, you mentioned him earlier, Lee Avery, um, plays British Perez and I see him, you know, I, I play him a lot and I'm painfully aware of the stubborn rule, um, <laughs> because I see it all the time and, Man, did I not rate it in version one as much as I do now? Holy moly. Um, especially since it lasts until the last guy. Unlike Fanatic, which when you get to the last man, stops working. Um, stubborn, man, it's it's in vogue, I think. And um, having played Lee enough, I, I can see why. It's It really does keep you in the fight. It's It's a great rule. Oh, for sure. I, don't, I mean, I don't think it's as powerful as something like Tough Fighter, but it definitely has its role. And yeah. it's like if you've got a unit of stubborn veterans or something on an objective, it means you're going to have to kill them to, to their last man, which generally means assaulting them, mm -hmm. which is like, you know, when they're assaulting veterans in cover, you're like, you're probably going to be pretty desperate already. <laughs> yeah, amen to that. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you brought up Tough Fighter because that was the next special rule. Um, I know we're jumping out of nations, but I think it is a nice segue. Um, so Tough Fighter featured in 11 lists across the 70, which made up for about 15%. But was interesting with Tough Fighter, unlike Stubborn, where you saw, you know, lots of units or, in, you know, the entire infantry portion of a list having that rule, Tough Fighter typically showed up in one unit. Um, and so you didn't see entire armies that was all Tough Fighter. In fact, there was only three armies of the 11 that had Tough Fighter that had more than one unit that had Tough Fighter. Um, there was, and so there's 
I think most of those three had two. And I think one had three units with Tough Fighter. So it wasn't mm-hmm. like you saw, I don't know, a there wasn't a Soviet naval list, for example, where everyone had Tough Fighter. Um, that just didn't happen. Uh, and there, one of those units uh, was Gurkhas. So there was one list with one unit of Gurkhas. Um, so in case you're wondering what the makeup for that was, uh, I thought that was really interesting because the last time I played at CanCon, again, showing some age here, version one version, versus version two, it was everywhere. Like you just mm-hmm. could not get away from Tough Fighter. Um, and it was really powerful. And it is still really powerful. But I think people are mitigating that because instead of taking units or armies that are just overrun with Tough Fighter, people are taking a lot more uh, SMGs across the entire army or assault weapons so that you're getting a sprinkling of it rather than getting it just poured on top, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, submachine guns, yeah, just give you tough blood uh, um, on the base of it. So it's like, uh, and, and everyone's going to be bringing SMGs, really. Um, yeah. So there's going to be a lot, probably a lot more tough fighter than just yet those 11 exactly. um, tough fighting. Uh, but the thing is, like, and you said it, like, tough fighter, you know, was nerfed a bit going from version one to version two. Um, it's it's not that good against against other veteran lists. Um, because like statistically you're just not rolling as many fives to, right. to get your second shot. Um, so I mean like there's different considerations in it for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, while we're going special rules, um, there's another one that is whew, contentious. Uh, I know <laughs> I've listened to a lot of podcasts, including yours, where you guys have talked about this particular rule. Um, I think in Victoria, it's particularly, um, poignant because we have uh, a player who, uh, loves to run a Tiger too and keeps winning events. Um, I'm going to say that again for those of you in other countries. We have a player in Victoria who takes a King Tiger, the Devil's Tank, 666 points, that tank in 1,000-point lists, and wins events regularly. Um, <laughs> or at least is top tier regularly with it. So Tiger Fear is a rule that people are talking about, especially down here. Would you agree? Absolutely. Tiger Fear is um, one of the banes of many players down in Victoria because, as I said, you know, like Nick Beatty runs his King Tiger and a few of the other boys like running Panthers or Tigers. Yep. Um, even as there's a thousand points, you know, like they'll, they'll squeeze those those big cats in and it's like, well, you know, you, you're going to like if you're their opponents, like you're going to have to deal with it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I ran a Panther the last time I played in your event, so I I know that feeling. Um, mm, but I love yeah. big cats on the table as well because like yeah. you know people are skeptical and say oh they can't work but you know i think you know if, if you use them properly they can definitely um be powerful and i think tiger fear is a very strong rule if it is. Um, you take advantage of it like in terms of the positioning and the way you use snipers and those kind of things agreed um well i know that this number will be very interesting to a lot of people um there were count them two lists that had tiger fear at this event. In fact, there were a total of four heavy tanks um, at this event, if you include a Panther as a heavy tank, which I did. I know it's only armor 10 on the front, but I still put it in that category because it had armor 10, if that makes sense. So we had two Tiger Fear causing tanks in this list. One was a Panther, one was a Sturm Tiger. Um, Now, uh, there was a Panzer IV at this event, but it was run at regular. 
Um, now, what's interesting about that is, uh, according to the player pack for CanCon, and I know this is controversial, a lot of people overseas see it like the, the Panzer needs some sort of point discount because it doesn't get Tiger Fear because we, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, it So the, the <laughs> couple things. One, two Tiger Fear lists, as I said. So that made up roughly 3% of the field. Um, of those two lists, one of them, the Panther list, uh, was in the top 10. So that's interesting. And we'll talk about the top 10 players of CanCon as a separate set of numbers in a minute. But um, the Panther, sorry, Pan, uh, Panzer IV without Tiger Fear, um, and this will be the only time I mention a player by placing, um, was in the number one list out of 70. So for those of you who are saying that, you know, Pan, uh, Panzer IVs can't, um, you know, deliver without Tiger Fear, I think you're wrong. But anyway. There you go. No, I completely agree with that. I think Panzer IVs are really good tanks without Tiger Fear. You know, yeah. like they're the same cost as, um, or, or 10 points more or something than a T-34-85, which are just, you know, you know, I've used them a lot in my Soviet lists and they're just efficient. Um, yeah. You know, they're just efficient tanks. Was they're medium tanks with a massive gun, a couple of yeah. machine guns. I mean, what, what more can you really ask for? Well, that's the character. I mean, it was pointed in version one. All of the point values in bolt action were pointed for the version one rules. And so it is pointed pre-Tiger Fear. That, that, that's just a fact. That's the way it's always been. And it is pointed according to the point, sort of the vehicle design matrix that Alessio used when pointing the vehicles in the, originally for first edition of the game. And so it, it clearly falls into the right realm for its weapons and armor and everything else with the other tanks in the game. Um, and German tanks in particular tend to be upgunned. They typically have fewer machine guns, um, than some of their counterparts in other nations, i.e. no Pintel, um, but have larger guns. So if you compare the Panther, for example, to the T-84, at least not the 85, but the regular T-84, sorry, T-34, God, I can't speak. And, (laughs) um, and, or, I don't know, a Sherman, uh, you'll get medium tank, medium gun. Um, whereas the German equivalents typically are medium tank, heavy gun. And so they're slightly more expensive, which is why in version one, you often didn't see a lot of, at least at the beginning of version one, you didn't see a lot of people taking Panzer IVs because that AT gun was seen as a liability. Um, thankfully, now that we're in version two, that isn't necessarily the case anymore, and we're seeing a wider variety of tanks. Am I rambling too much about this? No, yeah, I think you're spot on. I, I, yeah, I mean, I, I said it as well. Like, Panzer IVs are great, and um, if you think they need Tiger Fear, you're probably wrong. I mean, like, yeah. the Tiger Fear, they're just broken. Uh, I, it should it should not be on that line. <laughs> should not be on that tank. And I've actually, because um, Blitzkrieg uh, Miniatures recently had a sale. Wonderful models. Love the company. Um, and Rubicon's about to put out a whole new slew of tanks. Uh, Panzer IV variants that are gorgeous. And I'm looking at these tanks going, I really want to, because I have a massive collection of German Mm -hmm. tanks, I don't own a Panzer IV. Never owned a Panzer IV. um, Or I do have one, but it's the short barrel version. I want a long one with the, you know, the shirts in on the side, you know, making the turret look different. It just, it looks cool. And I want to put one on the table, but I think I might do what the number one player did and just run it without Tiger Fear. Because it's a cool-ass-looking tank, and I want to put it on the tabletop. But I don't want people to scream cheese at me, and I don't think that tank should have Tiger Fear. Anyway, 
Let's get hmm. back to the listing, shall we? Um, all right. So we've sort of talked through the, the, the big special rules. Interestingly, no fanatic at this event. Didn't happen in any of the Soviet lists. Clearly, there was no Japanese, so no fanatic at all. Boom. Um, I, actually, I take that back. Um, I did not put it in to the spreadsheet because I didn't want it to lead to a, a change in numbers. But there was a Polish player. And Polish players, and I believe Hungarian players also, get Fnatic on their command team. But as we said, once you knock a model down to one, it loses Fnatic. So I didn't include it in the special rules sort of counting for this. Because if you are taking a two to three man command team and you kill a guy, Fnatic stops being a thing anyway. So I didn't count that if that makes sense yeah that that just obscure the numbers um yeah. i guess like there's a, there's four australian lists and i'm i'm I, i'm not looking at them but i'm sure that they probably had that's the the special rule um if they're the jungle fighters particularly um where they are fanatics on um when they receive a charge yes but again that's situational so i didn't yeah yeah yeah, yeah, for sure. yeah there were um of yes that definitely was a thing in the australian list present um Interestingly, you the the most of the lists had one unit of the and the name is escaping me right now. I don't have it in my notes, but the Australian commando section. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was one of those in just about every Australian list, and that is where a lot of the tough fighter for the tournament came from because we had uh, four Australian players, and I think all four of them, if not three out of four of them, had that unit, and that gave the one unit in the army tough fighter. Yeah, that's not surprising. The commandos are so strong um, yeah. because, yeah, with the tough fighter and they're just, uh, you know, easy access to SMGs and, yeah, yeah, they're just great. Yeah, they're cool. And they're thematic as hell. They're cool. Why not take them if you're taking Australians, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I know I certainly take, um, you know, I don't leave home without a unit of eight in my Australian list. That's right. And I was saying that specifically because you are an Australian player. Um, well, let's get into that. So we had four Australian players. Um, which made up about, what, 6, 6% of the field. Um, mm-hmm. And we did separate that from the British. Now, the UK had 17 players, and it made up the largest number of players per nation at CanCon this year, at 24%. So 24% of the field was playing British. Given that we're a Commonwealth country, that's not terribly surprising. Also, given how good the British rules are, that's also not surprising. Um, now what's interesting was there's a direct correlation between, um, how many British players there were and how many artillery observers there were, uh, there's <laughs> 17 British players and there's 17 artillery. Um, now you might think, oh, everyone took the free arty, but no, there was one British list that didn't. Uh, and that is because they took the, uh, alternate seek rules out of, not the Western Desert book, out of the other desert book, which meant you could replace the free Arty Observer with the free 10-man squad, which is what that player did. So um, of, the six, of the 17 British lists, 16 of them had the free Arty Observer. Now, as I said, that meant there was one person who took an Arty Observer in a non-British list, um, and I believe that person played bulgarians um so that's bizarre to to take in as artillery observer outside of british <laughs> it's uh, look i've done it but again 
that was version one. Um, so what's interesting is clearly Air and Artie disappeared in second edition. Um, I'm sure British players factored it in, but if it wasn't free, I'm curious to see how many of those 16 players would have it in their army. Um, basically, that means there was one Air Observer and one Artie Observer, if you exclude British, out of 70. Um mm-hmm. Which, given how common it was in version one, I think definitely speaks volumes about how it was nerfed down. And I think I think it's led to a lot less feel-badsies because when you get your army completely shellacked by an observer one way or another, it just is not that fun. Um, so I'm glad to see that. Uh, what, what are your thoughts? No, I agree. I'm, I'm, I'm not a big fan of art, um, artillery observers. I mean, like, obviously... Uh, British players, you know, they, they get them for free. They don't really have an option. But I reckon a lot of people, if they had that option to take um, the extra 10-man unit or, you know, something something else cool like that, um, they'd probably do it just because of what, you know, kind of what you alluded to is like it's either you're going to um, drop an artillery strike on them or it's going to come back on you. And either way, someone's going to be having a bad time. Yeah. And it doesn't take a lot of skill to use. I mean, it's no. it's – I don't know. I, I've never liked them. I mean, I've never used one, but um, I've never liked just like the, the game mechanics of them for that reason. Yeah, I, I, I agree to everything you just said. I would love <laughs> to see a Soviet list that tried one because one of the Soviet rules allows you to reroll the dice. Mm. Um, and I haven't seen that in years. And I think it's a neat rule that people forget exists. Um, everyone focuses on the free squad, but this, if you cut out the free squad, the Soviets have wonderful national rules um, that don't need that. Um, anyway, um, we, we can talk about that later. Uh, mm. All right, let's talk about the third most common list. So, sorry, the second most common list. So, the first was British, third was USA, but the second most common list, not surprisingly, the Germans. So, mm. uh, roughly 20% of the field, or 14 players, played armies of Germany army. Now, this should not be confused with, um, there were Hungarians, Romanians, Bulgarians um, lists at the event that used German vehicles in some cases or German units. So I guess there was a little more Germany sprinkled over the other places, but there were 14 lists. Um, Does that surprise you, Lockie? Yeah, no, I'm not surprised at all, really. I mean, Germany is such an iconic kind of um, army, of course, and we've had a bit of discussion about this in the Victorian Bolt Action League um, Facebook page, Mm. and it's kind of, um, you know, like why you see Germany um, so much compared to the other Axis, uh, like minor armies like Japan and Mm. um, Italy and that kind of thing. Um, But, yeah, I mean, the Germans are so iconic. They've got the big tanks, uh, which people like. They've got... um, Mm -hmm lots of different theater sectors like obviously like i don't know how many um you know dac armies are there but they're such a an awesome army mm-hmm. um and also just like the timing period you, know, you can run a german army anywhere from 39 to 45 um there's heaps of plastic uh you know plastic kits um they're Definitely. just such an easy army to jump into bolt action with yeah, exactly. And how many times as a kid did you watch a movie where the bad guys, maybe I'm showing my age here, where the bad guys were the Nazis? And so it's like, yeah, oh. it, it makes perfect sense that, you know, if you grew up, you know, watching Star Wars and everything else where you have sort of space Nazis and then all of a sudden you have bad guys who are real Nazis when you're playing this game, you're like, oh, who's the iconic bad guy? Who am I going to play? Who's got the cool looking vehicles? I might play those guys. 
No, hundred percent. Or or Indiana Jones. I grew up watching totally. those movies, and uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, you want to play the Nazis or the, the the guys out in the desert who are looking for all the the, the treasures? <laughs> yeah, well, I definitely don't want to play the Nazis, but I do have three German armies, so I can't uh, can't really reconcile that, I suppose. Uh, so. Uh, one of the things that I know people talk about with Germans is Hitler's buzzsaw. Um, mm-hmm. And a lot of people have talked about how, you know, ooh, you know, people are only going to take LMGs and lists if they have Hitler's buzzsaw. So I thought it would be interesting to go back and to compare um, sort of light machine gun use in lists across the tournament. Now, these numbers are slightly skewed in that a lot of people seem to take, and I didn't record numbers on this, but there was, a, I would say, ballpark, maybe 10 players who took two LMGs in a list. Um, sort of, I used two LMGs in a list for years as sort of anchor squads, and they would sort of be the static, and then I would have an, a mobile element. And I, I got the feeling, looking at some people's lists, that that was kind of an element. Now, that is not representative in these numbers. But I did keep track of, if a list had three or more light machine guns in it, um, whether it was German or not German. So, uh, roughly 7% of the field, or five of the German players, so um, basically a third of the German players had three or more light machine guns in their army. Um, none of those that I saw, at least, had z- they were free light machine guns. They were paid-for light machine guns in the list. Um, interestingly, 12... Um, of the non-German lists uh, were, uh, whatchamacallit, had three <laughs> light machine guns, if that makes sense. So, Lockie, are you surprised by that? Um, what are your thoughts? I think I am. I mean, light machine guns, like, I think they have their place. Like, everyone knows they're a little bit overcosted, but I think they have their place, um, as you said, like, having, like, um, some dudes out up the back to sit on an objective and, you know, you want to make them relevant in the game so to give them like a, you know, a, a 36 inch range threat. Um, so they definitely have their uses, but I, I, I always struggle to see why you'd have more than one or two. So, I mean, I, I think having three, you know, um, three or more in a list is pretty surprising actually. Yeah. Well, it meant that 22% of the list that weren't Germans had three or more light machine guns. And uh, of course, what that also doesn't, show is the list that had even more um some of those lists had up to five light machine guns um and i don't think that was i think there was only one german player that had four light machine guns um it was typically nations that weren't germans that had more lmgs um so that was really interesting i was uh i was pleasantly surprised to see how many lmgs are out there and again i think that's a big jump between first and second edition um Conversely, uh, and interestingly, uh, there were 14 players overall who had medium machine guns. Um, Now, that's interesting given how some people are still saying that medium machine guns are dead. Um, That is 20% of the field at CanCon had medium machine guns. Some had, there was an American player and at least one German player that had two medium machine guns in each. Wow. Um, and that doesn't, that isn't included. Well, that they're included in the media machine gun, but it doesn't show that there was double. Um, mm-hmm. So that was really interesting as well. Um, I think it definitely people are finding um, uses for those media machine guns. Um, now, 
I hear the I hear the internet calling in the background saying, "Well, what about the top list? The ten percent, you know, the top ten? Mm. There were no medium machine guns in the top ten. Um, that said, um, looking at some of these lists um, that did include them, uh, I I hardly call them fluffy bunny lists either. So I think that um, people are experimenting with them. Uh, and yeah, it's interesting. Um, what are your thoughts about that, Lucky? Yeah, look, I mean, I like an, um, an MMG in my Australians, you know, like they, they kind of fulfill a role. Um, again, like they're not, they're not super powerful, but it's a, they're, they're 50 points. They're a dice. Um, and they're a way to get more infantry, I guess, in, into a, into a list when exactly. you're, you're only restricted to five, um, units like mm -hmm. compared to something like an artillery piece that can't run onto onto an objective last game whereas an mmg can so i mean there's always uses to them agreed yeah and i think they're great for laying down defensive if you're running um you know a mortar or an artillery piece you're putting them near each other um throwing a machine gun down near it as well um yeah sure they it might be sniper bait but it also if you deploy well um and the board allows you you really can just set up a field of fire that you know can be deadly depending on the situation anyway yeah and they're not the most efficient option but i mean like there's plenty of options here like that people would have taken at cancon that aren't the most efficient option so it's not really i mean yeah, yeah. it's always interesting people who say oh mmgs are underpowered but yeah but, like they might be but who, who doesn't really matter that much yeah <laughs> i think it depends on the uh, the synergy of your list, I, I know I know that's something I've said in the past, but I think it absolutely comes down to your list and how it's built. Um, does it fit your strategy? Does it fit your play style? Are you ready to go? I think that matters more than the efficiency in this game. Um, but yeah, 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 if that makes sense, for sure. All right. Well, let's get into the miners because that is. Oh no, sorry. Ugh. I'm kind of missing the elephant in the room, uh, and that's the fourth major Soviets. Seven, ten percent of the lists at uh, CanCon were Soviets. Now, um, I, I find that interesting because there was almost as many Italian players as Soviets, uh, which is kind of bonkers if you think about it. Um, but uh, of the present uh, Soviet lists, in the Soviet list that were there, we did see some of the sort of the big name items that people like to talk about. Um, there were two lists that had anti-dogma, or sorry, or anti-tank dog mines. Um, there were two gas double, you know, uh, the gas AA truck that everyone loves to talk mm -hmm. about. Um, and one of the cavalry units of the three armies that had cavalry at CanCon this year, one of them was a Soviet list. Now, that was sprinkled across all of the Soviet lists. It wasn't like one list had all of those. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it also it came down to why there were such low numbers of anti-tank rifles. Um, uh, I was expecting more, but there was only, th you know, well, I guess not only. There was 13 anti-tank rifles at the event. Um, roughly 18% of lists had them. Um, mm -hmm. so yeah, I think there's a, there's a lot in there to unpack. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm very surprised that Soviets were so underrepresented. Um, so that like, yeah, the seven Soviets compared to 14 Germans or something. So that's like, that's half. And like, exactly. I know, perhaps a lot of the Soviet players have, uh, have gone to play the minor powers. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'm, I'm not sure, but, um, that's, they're certainly not the numbers that we see down in Victoria. So it's interesting. It's good. Yeah. 
I like the minor powers coming out and seeing less representation of the big, big four. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, something I did want to touch on, Brad, is, um, and you di- you just mentioned it, was um, the lack of cavalry that was actually at CanCon. Only three armies had cavalry mm-hmm. um, out of the 70, um, which, you know, I think that's very low considering I think cavalry are pretty good. Um, mm mm-hmm. And, you know, like they're very thematic. People generally love seeing cavalry on the field. So just having only the three armies, uh, three, yeah, three armies featuring cavalry was very surprising. Yeah, I believe from the top of my head there was a Italian list that had cavalry. There was a Soviet list that had cavalry. And there was a... Polish? Po- well, yeah, duh, Polish. <laughs> yeah. There was a Polish list. The one Polish list had... But all of those lists had one unit of cavalry. Mm-hmm. Um, so it wasn't like anyone went crazy with the cav. Um, so yeah, again, interesting stuff. Um, also two political officers, um, only two commissars out of the seven Soviets, only two people took the commissar, which I thought was interesting given that, you know, a lot of people see the commissar as, you know, a really cheap order dice, even if it doesn't always fit the theme, but you know, who doesn't like someone shooting their own models in their own list. I don't know. Um, I like, I always have a commissar on my list because uh, I like the little guy I painted, but maybe they don't like theirs. I don't know. Um, I, I, yeah, that is interesting that there was only three cav. Um, but again, I think that is sort of reflective of people trying to take more themeless for CanCon. Of course, that takes us out of the, if we're talking about uh, getting into what my course is saying, if we if we get off the ladder of inference for a minute and we go down to the bottom, just stick to the data rather than making infer- inferences about the results. I don't know. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, I think people were maybe taking more fluff fun lists. Um, but that said, I mean, clearly there was some there was some lists with some teeth at this event as well. So hence the gas trucks. Um, but I don't know. Um, any other thoughts about Soviets, political officers, cavalry, anything else, Lockie? Uh, yeah, not really. Um, okay. that's probably covers it pretty well for the Soviets, I think. Well, let's get to the next nation down the roll, uh, which is the Italians. Now they came in fifth, uh, and there was a nice mix of armies. There were some generic Italians. There was some, uh, Italians using some of the new rules from the Western desert, um, and there was some uh, parachute, you know, paratrooper Italian list in there as well, which was really cool to see. Um, so yeah, I, I thought um, Italians were oh, very yeah. well represented. Yeah, I love seeing Italians on the field. I think they're um, a very interesting army that um, is always always offers a break from like on the Axis kind of side from from the Germans who are mm-hmm. often overrepresented. Um, so seeing six there, like that's some really good numbers, particularly since like you can run some pretty interesting lists for the Italians, whether it's like the auto Sahariana or mm-hmm. the more colonial lists or even the paratrooper kind of, um, oh, I can't pronounce them, the Bersaglari maybe, yes. um, <laughs> uh, lists. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, it's, it, for, for me, that's, that's really, um, looks really good at seeing a bunch of it- Italian lists considering they also, have some of the worst special rules in bold action. <laughs> yeah. Um, as I said, there was one Western Desert book which used the new national rules, which was cool. Yeah. Um, right, right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, hey, those rules are good, man. You just need to know the basic oh, bolt action sure. rules. Otherwise, 
you get a little drowned. Um, yeah, I mean, I actually haven't seen them on the table yet, but, um, you know, from my point of view, they just seem like a lot of bookkeeping, even though they might, like, you know, they're definitely thematic. Yeah. Um, which is what, which, yeah, I guess might turn some people away from running those rules. Yeah. Yes. Um, not to mention a few people complaining about the Western Desert book, but mm, moving on. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, as I said, there were um, some very cool themed Italian lists. Now, I know uh, one of the things that people might say is, oh, are people spamming light tanks um, cause, and armored cars? Because one of the things that Italians have a reputation for is maybe, as you said, terrible national rules in general, but fantastic vehicles, um, mm -hmm. typically because they're earlier war. They're festooned with machine guns um, and uh, light tanks. Inexpe inexpensive points wise fantastic weaponry so a lot of people talk about how good italian tanks are now of the list at this event italian players did not spam their own tanks um no one in there took the dual platoon to get all the armored vehicles that didn't happen so um people i think it was very common to see a light tank and a armored car um but yes that was not in occurrence that happened if anyone's wondering yeah i think at a thousand points it is it can be hard to fit in um the dual platoons with you know both pieces of armor and that kind of thing but yeah the um the tanks are really good the the armored cars are super efficient like yeah. the auto blinder is it yeah the auto blinder 41 yeah with the auto cannon is super tasty um, holding one in my hand literally as we speak oh boy <laughs> um so yeah i mean and uh, yeah, yeah, as you said, like the Italian tanks are really good, and I think they also it also mitigates the 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 bad special rules as well because yes. it's generally pretty hard to take a vehicle off the table. You might you know you might immobilize it or um, you know do a lot of pins on it to take it out of action, but actually killing it and taking taking the dice uh, is generally uh, a lot harder than killing some infantry. Yeah, totally agreed. Well, um, let's get on to some of the other minor powers from the same book. Speaking of, uh, you know, if you were talking a second ago, it's nice to see a break from the Germans. Well, we had a single Finnish list. We had a single Bulgarian list. We had a single Hungarian list. And we had, uh, sorry, we had two Bulgarians and one Romanian. Um, so there was a combined total of, what does that make that, five um, other... Axis mm -hmm. minor powers for this event, uh, which was really cool to see. I mean, it, there was some really fun, fluffy lists, some of which, you know, you could imagine is just kind of a reskinned German list, but it was still, you know, really cool. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, to see it. And it'll be also interesting to see um, if CanCon where um you know next month, I know Wintercon's coming up, mm -hmm. but um, just after the uh, the Fortress Budapest book. Um, yes. To see if there's any more like Hungarian lists and or, or even the mixed Hungarian German lists mm -hmm. um, available to players now, um, and just seeing what what kind of um, stats that would throw up. Or the new Romanians, um, you can now take Allied Romanians because of that book. So oh, really? I yeah, didn't know that. yeah. So yeah, there's a lot of really cool, interesting units that you can add to those armies in this. Uh, sorry, in that book, um, and new ways to play. Mm -hmm. So it's cool because um, it, it turns the Bulgaria, sorry, the Romanians into one of those armies that, you know, often, uh, and I, I think I've said this before, that um, Italians often get saddled with the switch hitter role where people run them as 
you know, if, if you're running a themed event and you have, you're trying to get even numbers of access and allies, the Italians often get saddled with the, oh, you have to switch sides now because we don't have the right number of players. Well, if you have a Romanian player, now you can do that too. So, um, yeah, which is cool. Yeah, it's good to have that flexibility. Um, and those kind of, yeah, the, the lists that can kind of go on either Axis or Allies is always good. I know I've kind of designed my French list to do that. My That's right. Foreign Legion. Um, you know, they're a Vichy Foreign Legion, but obviously, you know, like they can in a pinch be, be used as, as allies. Definitely. Yeah, man, which I love too because, again, that's a list you just don't see on the tabletop that often. I know, like, Brian Cook has run a Vichy list, and I think Patch has too in the past, but it's wonderful to see, you know, people playing that. Um, mm. and, well, you know. it's fun. It was like, well, I guess French, like, we'll get to that in a minute, but French are also mm -hmm. an under underrepresented army um, as it is. So having, you know, like, then um, the Vichy French as a sub-faction of that um, – you know, like it's all, it's just, you know, it's hard to get people playing those armies. Yeah, exactly. Well, let's get into that then. So French, uh, there were two French players, uh, mm -hmm. roughly making up 3% of the field. Uh, and yeah, they had, uh, yeah, uh, there wasn't anything that jumped out at me necessarily. Um, when yeah, looking what, at their what, list, what, what were they, were they like early war? Were they foreign legion? Uh, they were, were they... early war, uh, early, neither one of them was foreign legion from memory. Yeah. So, cool. yeah, they were both themed uh, particularly around that. Um, interestingly, from the same book, there were the same number of partisan players, two partisan players, um, who took very different um, partisan lists as well. And there was one Polish player, um, our good friend Muddy, um, who, you know, ran his fairly standard Polish list. Um, I know I've mentioned that he was at the event before, and there's one Polish player, so I know I'm not really talking about players matching lists, but... It's kind of obvious he's the only one. So, again, um, his list was in there as well. So, yeah, it was it was cool to see those minor powers on the allied side as well. Yeah, for sure. So it's just always good um, getting them on the table. Um, particularly like the partisans in Poland is always good. I mean, Finland's a, a pretty strong army, so it's yeah, you know, like not that uh, surprising to see at least one player. But yeah. Mm -hmm. It was nice. I don't think, and albeit I haven't been to CanCon so in a long time, so I don't know if this person's played before. I didn't recognize their name. Um, so, you know, they could have been playing there for a while, and I could be talking out of my ear here, but I think it was perhaps a newer player. Um, mm -hmm. So it was cool to see um, a new, you know, a, a different army. Because Finland does have a reputation for being sort of brutally hard, but... Um, it's because I think the list is really good, and it I think it comes down to the player that's playing it um, to make sure that it's... I mean, it's really broad as a mm -hmm. list. Um, you can do some awesome themed lists that aren't brutal and won't kick your teeth in, um, but if you're trying to stick... His, like the Japanese, if you take something historical, um, you know, it might be challenging. Um, you're not getting to take all the cool stuff at the same time. Um, and I think the Finns operate in a very similar fashion. Um, but if you are sort of taking a little bit of column A and a little bit of column B and not really caring about the historics, you can take something brutal. Um, and I'm not saying this person did at the event. Uh, again, um, I think it was just a good fin list. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think it's hard to make a bad fin list, fin list but yeah, but it's, it's just good to see them on the table. Totally. Uh, and that takes us down to, uh, lucky last, as we mentioned before, the Australians. And there were four Australian players, which made up about five to six percent of the field 
Um, and I think we've talked about their numbers quite a bit as it is. Um, mm-hmm. So that's our total. We had 70 players, and that is where we are at. Uh, Lockie, before we move on, did you have anything else you wanted to add about the Nations? Uh, no, not I don't think so for the Nations. like That's all, all covered pretty well. All right. Well, let's let's get into leadership um, because it matters, uh, according to all of the Harvard courses I'm taking at the moment. Um, So, (laughs) of course, that's school leadership, but no captains, no majors, none Uh, did not appear. Not surprising in a thousand points. Um, You know, I know that we have seen a major in the past, um, but not in this event. Um, which leaves us to first and second lieutenants. There were uh, basically 23% of the field took first lieutenants. Uh, 77% of the field took uh, second lieutenants. Now, it should be mentioned that there were two platoon players at this event, and we're going to get to those in a minute. Now, if one of those two platoons had a first lieutenant, I counted the list as first lieutenant. So I think two of the lists that are listed as having first lieutenants actually have a first lieutenant and a second lieutenant. But I did want to make sure that that was pointed out for those who are wondering. Um, Unsurprisingly, a lot of the German lists didn't bother with first lieutenants, given the special national rule. Um, I just noticed that most German players took second lieutenants. Um, I'm not saying universally. Um, I wasn't paying that close attention, but I did notice every time I was putting in German lists just about, I was like, oh yeah, second lieutenant, not surprising. So Yeah, I was about to say that. Like um, if, if, you know, the Germans probably don't get as much value out of the first lieutenants as uh, as other lists do. Um, but that that being said, you know, like 16 first lieutenants, you know, that's, you know, a, a good number. You know, it's like a lot, it's, yeah. it's, it's, you know, it's probably more than I'd expect. Uh, you know, they can they can be useful for sure. But um, the, I think the second lieutenants um, regular are just generally more if efficient. Yeah. And oftentimes you'd see first lieutenants um, mixed into lists um, that involved inexperienced units. Um, mm-hmm. But we're going to get into veterancy in just a second. Uh, in fact, why don't we do that now? Um, so this takes some explaining. So uh, when looking at lists, I broke them down into four categories. Um, In fact, one of them was broken into two. Uh, So we have the inexperienced, the regular, and the veteran, which is unsurprising. And when I rated lists on that, I went with lists that were entirely that or that had were all that but one or two units. Um, that left the fourth category, which was mixed lists, which involved three or more of different types. Now, I did take care to notice when looking at mixed lists, were there lists? And this is something that I, you know, we used to talk about a lot in version one um, slash in more analytical army looking, army building looks back in the day was, do you take... Um, your lieutenant and or your block of troops, as in, you know, the, the required uh, troop slots, the infantry slots, do they match the small teams and vehicles? So, of the mixed lists, there were two types. One, what seemed to kind of fit theme slash squeezing points in um, versus one that was very clearly 
Infantry squads were one veterancy. Everything else was something else. Um, now, whether or not that meant it was like veteran infantry with regular teams, that is kind of where I'm getting at. Does that make sense, Lockie? Am I explaining that right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So, looking at the, the lists, there was one list that was universally inexperienced. There were... 19 lists, or 27% of the field, that were regular. And there were 6% of the lists, or roughly, you know, 8 to 9% of the lists were entirely veteran. Now, that leaves 44 players, or roughly 63% of the field, running mixed lists. Of those lists... Uh, 19 of them, or roughly 27% of the field, had the infantry squads all matching of one veterancy, but then the other parts of the army, be it the lieutenant, be it the small teams, as something different. Um, Now, some of those were absolutely efficiency-driven choices. Some of those were thematic choices. And again, I didn't have the fluff to match the lists. So I didn't want to try and make those differentiations. But basically what we're looking at is 9-ish percent veteran, 27%-ish regular, 1% inexperienced, and 63% mixed, roughly. Lockie, what do you think about that? Um, Yeah, I think like... It's probably what you would expect. I mean, like, I'm surprised there's not a couple more inexperienced um, units, I guess. Sorry, armies, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, I think having only, I mean, having six veteran lists that are like a fully veteran is that that's surprising because, you know, it's surprising to have all your support teams um, and your vehicles and whatnot, if any um veteran as well mm-hmm. um but you know like it's not surprising that there's so many um of the mixed lists and i would be interested to see how many of those lists have three or four beefy veteran units and then the rest are um uh regular or even inexperienced in the case of mortars uh there were two inexperienced mortars at the event um i did write that down um yeah. and they were both medium mortars so mm-hmm. in case you're wondering um, now what's interesting going off my notes here, sorry, I'm reading while I'm talking. Um, there were quite a few lists that had, uh, that were generally regular and had a few, um, veteran squads. Um, so they were backed up with that. There were also quite a few lists that mixed regular and inexperienced, which I think compensates for the extremely low number of inexperienced. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that that kind of goes in there. Not to mention some lists like the Soviets, um, they often showed up as mixed because given the free squad, given the political officer, that's two inexperienced squads right off the bat. And so all they needed to do was take one other inexperienced thing and all of a sudden they were a mixed list or a veteran thing and they were a mixed list. Um, a lot of lists had one unit of veteran or two unit of veteran um, to to bolster things. Um, there were three lists that sort of seemed to have um, lieutenants that were of lower veterancy than the rest of the list. Uh, but some of those had dual platoons. And so, again, 
I'll let you, you know, make conclusions off that. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, it, it was, it was really interesting. Um, I was surprised by the lack of gaminess, if that makes sense. Um, it, it, people didn't seem to be taking things that were obviously wicked gamey. If I'm, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, by the sounds of it, yeah, that's generally the case. I mean, having only of the two inexperienced mortars and they're generally the, the ones, you know, like the, 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 the front runners for uh, finding those max efficiencies kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, yeah, no, I mean, like from, from you who've actually seen the list, it's good to, it's good to hear that there was, you know, a genu- genuine mix um, that wasn't just trying to min-max everything. Yeah, I was really pleased and surprised by the complete lack of min-max. That said, I was also, I mean, given how surprised I was that there was only six veteran total armies there were quite a few armies um that for example um i can think of it like a paratrooper army that was supported by regular armor and vehicles which makes sense thematically um but that came up as mixed for example but it was still a veteran army Um, i I would actually say that the the full veteran lists um are actually handicapped because as you said like um, like the regular vehicles and the regular support teams um, are just way more efficient than the veteran ones. So you're actually paying tax on the veteran ones, whereas, um, you know, the veteran, like the armies with the veteran infantry squads, like three or four of them, and then the rest regular are actually, I reckon they're the, the more powerful um, versions of the list. Yeah, man. Uh, I, yes, I, I definitely hear what you're saying there. Uh, yeah. So that was really interesting. And while we're talking about what goes into things um let's talk about how these armies broke down so one army had two infantry squads 13 armies or roughly 20 percent had three infantry squads 37 percent or sorry 37 of the armies or roughly 53 percent of the armies had four infantry squads and 25% of the, or sorry, 26% of the armies had five infantry squads. No one had six infantry squads, and one person had seven infantry squads. Um, now, what's interesting there is how many platoons you squeeze in. And I think this comes back to us talking about min-maxing inefficiencies. So um, there was one list, unsurprisingly, the seven infantry squad list that had uh, two platoons and had more than five infantry squads. Um, There were 13 lists that had two platoons, uh, but had five or less infantry squads. Um, And I believe seven of those, maybe six, six of those had four squads. So they took the bare minimum of squads to get the toys. Now, what I found really surprising, though, was oftentimes squeezing in the second squad didn't seem to get them much more than, for example, a medium mortar. Um, Of the dual lists, seven of them had dual medium mortars. Um, A couple of them had like a medium mortar and a light mortar. Um, So mortars seem to be quite common in dual lists. Um, likewise of the 70 lists at CanCon, three of them had dual sniper. Um, and so that I thought was very interesting. 
Um, Lockie, I know that's a lot of information. Where do you want to go with that? Um, yeah, well, I mean, uh, so we'll, we'll go with the amount of infantry squads first. Yes. Um, yeah, like, I mean, it's not super surprising that spread. I mean, re- realistically, you want between three and five units. I, I yeah. generally opt to, to five units at a thousand points because it's, um, you know, infantry wins games. Um, Amen. But, um, yeah, so it was a brave, that one brave person who went with two infantry. Like, I'll, yep. I'll be interested see how they went um in terms of holding objectives and winning games three i think is a bit risky um with the, with only uh 13 plays opting to go for three infantry squads but yeah for the four or five infantry that's um you know that's where the majority are sitting mm-hmm. and you know not super surprising and then the do you know what sorry do you know what um uh list had the seven infantry did you say i did not say and i I weirdly didn't write it down. Um, I don't actually know off the top of my head. That's all right. That's um, I do know who took the two, though, uh, and it was a paratrooper list. So there was a paratrooper that had two infantry squads. Um, so that was, you know, those so stubborn. If you're going to take two infantry squads, I guess two larger squads of uh, stubborn infantry is the way to go. Um, again, I would love to see how that list went because the idea of painting like 20 dudes and calling it a day and having a full bolt action army sounds pretty good to me. Um, but clearly that was a one platoon list. Anyway, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, that's all right. Um, yeah, so I mean, like, what, what do you think in terms of just like the infantry units? Like, dude, is that anything surprising there? I was surprised to see a two infantry list. Um, I was expecting to see more five, six, and seven squad lists. Um, I was surprised a little bit. I expected there to be... I predicted that we would see most often five infantry squad lists. I expected four to be the second most um, and three and six to be in the same league. Um, Mm. So the numbers are kind of flipped to what my expectations were. Uh, As I said, 53% of them took four infantry squads versus five infantry squads, which was roughly 26%. So I was surprised more people didn't take five infantry squad lists. Now, if I can quickly jump over, and I know I'm kind of spoiling things a little bit here, but I think it does bear uh, mentioning that if we get into the top 10 lists, those numbers are flipped. We see um, there's only two types of players in that. One that took four infantry squads and one that took five. Um, 60% of the top 10 lists had five infantry squads. 40% of the top 10 lists had four infantry squads. So I think, um, I don't know, again, I don't want to say it's better to take one or the other, but players who um, were in the top 10 tended to have more infantry squads. And as you say, this is an infantry-based game. To take objectives, you need infantry squads. So I think um, having more infantry squads maybe gave them more options, um, if that makes sense. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, yeah. I think you're pretty crazy to leave home without um, more than three. Um, like if you have two or three infantry squads, yeah, it's just it's just not enough. Um, so yeah, it's not surprising to see in the top ten. Yeah, everyone going either four or five units. Yeah. Um, but that's probably indicative of you know, and we'll get there. But um, the top ten list being a bit more co- cookie cutter than the rest as well. Yeah, there was there was a little more gamey. Well, not gamey. I don't want to say that. Um, 
things being more uh, tighter, um, mm. being more. Um, I, I I'll have to come up with a good word for it, but yes, um, uh, very streamlined. Uh, well, let's. I think it should also be mentioned. There's a few things in those numbers that should be discussed. One. Um, when I counted infantry squads, I counted cavalry squads in there, but then I also marked them as a separate cavalry slot somewhere else. So in the list that had cavalry, they were marked as infantry, but they were also marked as part of the three that had um, cavalry units. Mm. Just to mention, um, I was ask as well, what about the um, about like free infantry squads? Was that were they counted in those numbers? They were counted in those numbers. Um, yeah. So uh, yes. Um, it, what was interesting was um, in the Soviet list that tended to have two platoons, um, they tended to have five or more or have five squads because you had the two and the two for each platoon and then the free squad thrown on. No one used that free squad to get them a second platoon. And I don't know if you're allowed to do that um, from the top of my head now that I'm saying it out loud. But everyone that was a Soviet list that had the free squad and the two platoons um, I believe, and not, I don't believe, I know they had five squads. So yeah, gotcha. um, so that was in there and I did count the free squads in there, both the one Sikh squad and the seven Soviet free squads. They were mm-hmm. counted in basic infantry. Good question. Uh, anything you wanted to add about what I just said, or are you ready to move on? Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, let's, let's move on. Okay. Shall we talk order dice? Um, because this is a hot topic. It used to be far hotter, I believe, uh, back in the day, but it's still something that people consider. Um, now, we saw a huge spread of order dice in this event. Um, everything down to eight order dice, up to 15. Uh, now, roughly 3% of the field, or two players, took eight dice. Seven players, or 10% of the field, had nine dice. Um, 17% of the field had 10 dice. 25% of the field had 11 dice. 23% of the field had 12 dice. Uh, 9% of the field had 13. Uh, 6% of the field had 14. And 7% of the field, or five players, had 15 dice. Um, and so uh, it, it was a nice bell curve, literally. It was small, larger, 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 largest, Smaller, 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 smallest kind of thing. So it went up and then down, um, which is not surprising. And the middle sweet spot seems to be 11 dice. Um, If you add up the middle, almost everyone at the event had 10, 11, or 12 dice. Um, Now, if we go into the top 10, again, jumping the shark a little bit, we saw a very similar spread. but it tended to be a little on the higher side. It was one person with 10 order dice, one person, or sorry, three people with 11, two with 12, one with 13, one with 14, and two with 15. Um, so, Lucky, what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I mean, it's a good list. I mean, like, uh, it's surprising. It's probably surprising that 15 was the highest amount, like, which is probably indicative of no one really trying to gain the system by like, you know, going something like stupid, like 20 order dice or something like that. Um, uh, and then like on the low end, uh, yeah, two people took the, um, took an eight order dice list and I'd be interested to see if those two lists actually, um, where the two lists were target feel. <laughs> I don't think either one was to be fair. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Um, 
Uh, but yeah, so I mean, like, uh, it's I, I don't think it's these numbers are anything out of the ordinary. Obviously, ten to twelve dice um, are, are the sweet spot, and then like a couple more, a couple less are a little bit better or worse depending on what's actually in your list. Yeah, I'd agree. Um, it, I, yeah, I, I was surprised as you say that there weren't more higher uh, order dice. Um, there but, wasn't an order cap, was there, for this event? There was definitely not. Um, I don't believe so. I don't think there was a 15 cap. But I know that in the past, um, there were complaints about people not finishing games if they had more than 15. Um, so I think that some people uh, self-regulated. Um, again, though that is going up the ladder of speculation um, and inference rather than looking at the hard data. So I, I, I am not actually sure. Uh, but if you're wondering, that was sort of the spread of things. Um, if you were thinking, hmm, if I want to improve my chances of having, you know, my dice come out of the bag more often than my opponent, if you were going with this as a representation, um, most people had 11 dice. So if you had 12 or more, you would have a slightly better chance of pulling your mm -hmm. dice out of the bag. It also just generally depends on what's in your list. So I guess if you're yeah. taking... One of the, you know, like a big tank or um, or some big um, beefy veteran units. Like obviously, you're going to have a bit lower dice count. But if you're a minor army that doesn't have um, those, you know, beefy options, you're probably going to have a higher dice count. Um, and there's always ways to get um, some of those cheap dice in. Like you mentioned, the political officer before, which is a good way to do it. Mm -hmm. But I think uh, it's the people, like the people who are taking the piss in those kind of things, are generally um, the ones who take, you know, like too many of those kind of small dice ones because, mm -hmm. like, you could spam like, um, like the 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 car, you know, like the limber kind of horse-drawn carriages and those kind of things, which are super dirt cheap. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's okay to take one or two of those kind of units, but if you're taking, you know, four or five or even more of them, that that's getting a bit silly. Yeah, exactly. And it was interesting. Um, there were, I'm glad you mentioned the horse-drawn limber. Uh, for some reason, I didn't count those. Um, but there were a few at the event, I would say ballpark 10 lists had wow. them, uh, maybe nine. Um, but that was, um, there were quite a few things that had to be towed on. Um, I So in order to get things on, you saw things like the horse-drawn limber, um, or the ubiquitous artillery tractor. Um, so mm. those both made appearances. Um, just thinking, I, I, I think trending-wise, I think Soviet players tended to have more dice, and I think that, um, again, with the free squad, the political officer, and cheap anti-tank teams, I think that's not surprising, um, versus the Germans, which tended towards the lower side, and I think uh, Americans, which tended towards the low-to-middle side, and British... Um, again, with the free squad tending towards the middle and high. Um, again, that's just, that's not actually based on numbers, um, just mm -hmm. based on my general observations as I was putting the numbers in. Um, and that, again, that's not super surprising, those numbers, no. just because like, that's just how those armies are kind of, kind of operate. Exactly. And, but I think one of the reasons why there were such low, low dice numbers, um, is there were very few, big guns and heavy tanks. Um, there were four heavy tanks in this event, full stop. So um, there was an ARV, there was a, a KV-2, a Panther, and a Sturmtiger. Um, in general, though, if you look at the next 
uh, bracket, though, if and again, I counted the Panther as a heavy tank. But if you look at medium tanks, dear Lord, uh, 32 medium tanks at this mm. event. Uh, that means a grand total of 46% of the lists had a medium tank. Uh, 20 lists had light tanks. Uh, it, that comes in at roughly 20% of the field. Uh, sorry, 27% of the field. And of the tankettes slash AA vehicles um, that have an armor value, um, there, for example, the American anti-tank, uh, sorry, anti-air vehicle with the machine guns on the back, the, the open-topped half-track, that is one of the ones I'm talking about, for example. Um, of the tank at AA field, there were six. Uh, and of course, that doesn't include the gas truck, which I pulled out separately because it is a soft skin. Um, so before we get into armored cars, are you surprised by those numbers? Oh, I should say, sorry, in dual platoon lists where there were two tanks, I did count both in. So there were a few less medium tank lists and a few less light tank lists than are there um, because some of those had both, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are your yeah. thoughts? Um, well, so I guess we've already discussed that there weren't many heavy tanks at the events, only three. Um, so, yeah, like for the medium tanks, I mean, they're the, um, you know, like we talk about a sweet spot in terms of like, uh, you know, what 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 level do you want your stuff at? And I think for, for tanks, it's definitely the medium ones because they're just, you know, Armour 9 is, yeah. is, where it is where it's at. And then whether or not you have a medium or heavy anti-tank gun. Um, it kind of varies depending on what arm you play. Mm-hmm. Um, having 32 of them, yeah, but I mean, like that sounds about right. What do you reckon? Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely about right. Um, I, I was, I guess, a little more surprised that there weren't more light tanks and there were fewer medium tanks. Um, but I think people were trying to add a little um, durability to their lists. Uh, and there were some, I mean, that list of medium tanks is massive. Uh, it wasn't like it was one type of tank. I think there was almost every type of Sherman under the sun represented, um, mm-hmm. going from easy eights to whatever else. Um, plus tons of different T 34s. Uh, as I said, there was Pan- uh, Panzer threes and Panzer fours. Um, it just, yeah, it, it was just, it was a really cool spread. Um, and some of the minor nations, as we said, Italians in particular. Um, are sort of stuck taking light tanks. And so uh, that's not surprising either that that would be in there. Um, I guess I was a little surprised there weren't more tankettes, but given that there's one Polish player and no Japanese players, maybe that's not terribly surprising. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, I I thought all in all, um, I guess I would have thought there was fewer medium tanks, but I think you've been playing more in second edition events um than i have so you you may have a, a more realistic view of that yeah i think the medium tanks are just are generally just the better options um light tanks not only are they only armor eight but they generally don't have um the the capacity to hold the the, the big anti-tank guns like the the mediums and the heavies um so they're generally stuck with a light anti-tank gun um even if they have some if they have some machine guns and that makes them um you know like a lot better like particularly like the Italian ones or uh, mm-hmm. or the Stuarts or those kind of things. Um, can, they can be quite tasty, but then there's other other light tanks that just really don't don't cut it when it comes to the the anti tank guns. Yeah, exactly. Let yeah. alone their armor right. <laughs> yeah, well, that too. Um, well, getting into that then, um, armored cars. 
Very common. Uh, more mm. so than anything else. Uh, 53% of the lists, or 37 players, took an armored car. Um, now, of course, armored cars go in every sh- way, you know, shape, form, whatever. I think there was three Pumas. Uh, I know people love to talk about Pumas. I think there was <laughs> three of those. Um, now, what was interesting was... Uh, and I didn't count the numbers, but something I noticed was there was a trend that there were quite a few lists, when I say quite a few, maybe five or six lists, that included armored cars and an armored transport or two, um, and instead of a tank. So that, I thought, was very interesting. I thought that was a cool theme. Um, people were taking sort of light, transporty armies, um, but I think that was part of how they theme things. Again, without the theme document, though, it's sometimes hard to tell. But I thought that was a neat trend. Um, something that isn't really shown in the numbers. But mm-hmm. um, given how you know mobile, uh, inexpensive, and effective a lot of armored cars are, I'm not surprised by those numbers whatsoever. You? No, particularly not. But um, I mean, like generally they have recce as well, which is such a um, great rule. I mean, I know it got nerfed from version one to version two, Thank but God. it's still yep. <laughs> super, super helpful to um, get out of jail free or to yeah. to bait your opponent into shooting it with um, something that they prefer not to. Like mm-hmm. they might prefer a different target or, you know, like just a range of options. And armor cars are generally cheap. They generally have um, pretty good armament. Mm-hmm. Like, um, you know, I mentioned before the auto blinders or the auto cannons or really just, um, uh, you know, so sometimes I have uh, a couple of machine guns or, you know, any, really anything. Um, and they're just, they're, they're good points. Uh, sorry, they're efficient in terms of like, they're, they're generally about a hundred points, maybe 120 exactly. for the better ones with better guns. And yeah, I mean, again, not surprised. They're just, they're super useful. They are. Oh, uh, I, there is an important note here I've written down that I that I should mention. Of the 37, uh, six of those were Jeep, Kuba wagon, you know, staff car type vehicles with machine guns. Because when you add them, the vehicle loses its transport capability and becomes an armored car. So mm. six of those 37 are those. Which, uh, but they're but they're they're still soft skins, though, aren't they? They're still soft skins. They're still they still fall under the armored car slot. You can't take an armored car and one of those. So I slid it in, but I did want to mention that that was the case um, before we moved on. Now that is the definition of efficiency, kids. Um, the typically, if you take a regular staff car, I believe it's what fifteen. Um, then you take maybe sixteen, seventeen, something like that, and then you take a medium machine gun. I mean, you're looking at a 35-point or less mobile medium machine gun that you have to roll on the vehicle penetration chart to destroy. Um, that's pretty good. So, Oh, yeah, they're, they're very, very tasty. Um, I had a new player recently, um, Dean from Good Games Melbourne. He mm-hmm. um, was messaging about these things. Um, and he's like, why would you take a, you know, like a, a manned MMG team when you can just take a Cooper wagon with an MMG, which just, you know, it's mobile. It's, it, as you said, you need a six to actually damage it. Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, yeah, they're, they're just good options. They are great. But if you are planning to take different armored car or it doesn't fit your theme, well, there you go. Um, not to mention there was probably a lot more <clears throat> man-packed MMGs in World War II than vehicle mounted uh at least staff car one anyway moving maybe not jeeps who knows um (laughs) but there were some i think two of those were jeeps with heavy machine guns not medium machine guns so 
that is another way of getting a heavy machine gun in if you're looking for that little extra AT boost, which weirdly in second edition, you don't seem to see all that often. Anyway, moving on. Um, Now, something that we see an awful lot in Victoria is vehicle people who are taking truck spam. Um, I know I love highly mobile lists. Um, I often take, you know, my auto Sahariana or my Soviet list where everything's mounted, um, where everything's in a vehicle. Now, that was not the case at CanCon. Um, as far as there were 15 lists or 22%-ish, 21.5% had 15, or sorry, had trucks. And when I say trucks, had a something like a um, Dodge, um, Beep, Big Jeep, truck, light truck, heavy truck, trucks, soft skin, transport, that holds more than three people. Um, of those, so there was 15 of those. No list had three or more trucks. Fifth, sorry, 16 lists had armored transports, half tracks, um, armored wheeled transports of some kind. Um, so roughly the same number. But of those, three, sorry, not of those, in addition to that, uh, two lists had three or more armored transports. So armored transports were more often used than soft-skinned ones. Um, and of the soft-skinned ones, about two-thirds of them had machine guns and one-third didn't. Um, part of that came down to some of those armies don't have machine gun often, uh, options, and some people j- just didn't take them. Um so that was interesting, given that you often see in the Victorian scene a lot of soft skin vehicles with machine guns mounted on them. Uh, and I mean a lot. And that just wasn't represented here. Um, are you surprised by that, Lockie? Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, like in, in Victoria, that's, you know, like a lot of the guys' tactics are, you know, load up a truck with some veterans and a, and a flamethrower and just fang them at people. Um, so, I mean, like in, in this, you know, like there's 15 trucks and there's what, 16 armored transports, which I think that's a pretty healthy smattering. Um, you know, like not, it's not in every list, but it's, you know, it's, it's represented pretty well, I think. Um, I mean, 16 armored transports is pretty, not hard. I don't want to say surprising, but generally they are, um, a bit on the weaker side. So it's good to see that they're on the table um i'm guessing a lot of them were either the german versions or brain carriers uh, yes yeah brain carriers were very common yeah <laughs> yeah and um, uh of those of those lists going up to the top 10 list really quick uh four of those uh, four out of the 10 had trucks two out of the 10 had armored cars. And it should be said that in both categories, and I can't remember about the top 10 list, but in the overall data, um, some of the lists had both. So that might be a little, some of the 15, some of the 16 overlap, if that makes Mm -hmm. sense. So anyway, go ahead. Yeah, no, I mean, that's that's about right. I mean, yeah, yeah, trucks are just useful to get your guys where you want them to be, I guess. I mean, I'm not a big fan of them. They don't, they generally don't suit my play style, but I know like a lot of players find them super useful. So um, particularly like if they can get a good road or something to to really um, you know double their movement and get them to where, get their troops to where they need to be. Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, so yeah, I'm not super surprised. I mean, do, do you, did you think that there would be more or less? I thought there'd be a lot more. 
Um, specifically, I guess I'm not surprised by the 15 for trucks. I would have thought there would have been more lists with three or more trucks. But mm-hmm. I think that is also me using my play style to color how other people play the game. Um, because looking at it, I run, a, I, I run a lot of highly mobile lists. It's how I like to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just assumed there'd be more. Um, That's true. Yeah. Um, I'm not surprised that there's no lists that run three or more trucks. Because I think, like, if you're going to run trucks, two is probably the sweet spot. Like, you have yeah. a couple of units, uh, like, you know, a couple of trucks with a couple of vet units or whatever. Um, so I think three or more is probably a bit excessive. Um, and that, you know, that shows in the numbers. Totally. Yep. All right. Uh, well, let's move on to, we've talked about the Gaz AA. Ah, vehicle flamethrowers. There was one. One mm. vehicle flamethrower. It was a, I think an OT-34, um, which, yeah, is a tank <laughs> and has vehicle flamethrower. Uh, very rare. Um, on the other hand, there were 23 lists or 33% of the field took flamethrowers, man-packed. Now, I didn't do the breakdown between um, ones that were integrated into squads and ones that were independent on their own. Um, I would say roughly... Uh, it was a, almost a 50-50 split or more slightly in favor of the integrated ones, um, oh. but both were heavily uh, present in lists. Mm-hmm. Um, and to go over to the top 10, 70% of the lists had a flamethrower, integrated or otherwise. Um, so uh, clearly, people uh, at, at the upper end quite like them. Uh, are you surprised by that at all? Because I'm not. No, absolutely not. I mean, like... Yeah, twenty three is probably about right. Where um, in the in, in the general field, but yeah, seeing that seventy percent of the top ten had a flamethrower, like a man pack flamethrower, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's uh, that's some really high numbers, and it just really shows the strength of flamethrowers. Even though, like, again, like a lot of people, you know, thought that they were useless or whatever when when it going into V two, but yeah, they're no. they're so powerful in terms yeah. of like, uh, you know, particularly as a defensive weapon, I find. Mm-hmm. Um, because uh, like it can be hard to use them aggressively to get them in the right spot, um, but it, they can definitely stop um, big veteran units or tanks or whatever just running across the field at you. Absolutely. Um, and yeah, so I mean, some people have had seven people had really good success with them, as it shows. I mean, yeah. Uh, what do you reckon? Yeah, no, man, I I completely agree. Um, I'm I I'm pleased to see. Only 23 lists in the general have in the general um, slot, sort of the general pool having them. Uh, given how popular they were at CanCon the last time I went, it was a lot more than that, um, at least from my experience. Um, again, not looking at hard data, but more my anecdotal experience. Um, everyone seemed to have them back then. I think it's mm-hmm. nice that they've they've toned down. Um, and I don't think it fits everyone's army. And it was when looking at people's armies, um, the way people put things together, uh, I thought it fit some people's well and some people, you know, again, not talking to people, only looking at their list uh, as in, in, in isolation, some lists you just look at and go, is that really that's there? Okay. And other ones went, Oh no, that makes perfect sense. That is definitely a theme. That's cool. Um, and yeah, I think I'm not surprised. Um, I guess. Um, and it's, I, I like where it's at. I think it's a good spread. Um, I think they're very valuable and it, it is, it is nice to see vehicle flamethrower, uh, on the field. Um, they are really powerful even in second edition because you can get 
them where you need to go, and you can definitely put the hurt on. But as a man who runs one yourself, Lucky, um, they're not completely OP. In fact, um, you have to really use them strategically to get the most out of them, don't you? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So I use the, the frog a lot in my Australian army. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I mean, it, it's it, it, it's difficult because, I mean, I guess frogs that still have this the slow special rule, which really limits them. Yeah. I put them on outflank a lot, which really helps. Um, but really the key is, like, you need to get them within six-inch range because um, on a, uh, within six inches um, when you're moving, you're hitting on a three. But if you're moving and shooting at long range, so um, – up to 12 inches hitting on a five which um can make them pretty tricky to use like in terms of like they're a bit risky if you want to really um put yourself out there uh but if you're if you've if you've got a faster tank um with a flamethrower or even a, an armored car with a flamethrower um like a, i know there's a the the, the the i can't remember which one it is one of the bas um yes. in the uh soviet book mm-hmm. uh, they are super nasty, you know, yeah. like you can get them where you need to be. You can wreck it into a good position to use it for the next turn. Um, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. That, that gives me, that gives me the willies. Um, you know, it's one thing to have the Italian ones in a light tankette that you can get rid of. I guess it's cheap, mm. but it's small, so it's harder to hit, but it's light but, armor. But to have that super mobile, fast Soviet one gives me the, Oh, Ooh, Sure. I have nightmares about that. Unit, do you think it's another example of um, the community self-regulating um, or even like a hangover from uh, V1, though? Because yeah. I, I, like I, I didn't play much of V1, but I know that um, a lot of, you know, like they were, they were really frowned upon in the community because of how busted they were. Mm-hmm. Um, so do you think that's, yeah, like, you know, a reaction to them? I would guess so. Um, uh, so I... I started playing before they were banned um, in version one. So I actually, to my first big bolt action event, Moab, a million years ago, um, I took a flaming Hetzer um, in my partisan list, which was grossly in ahistorical. By the way, kids, uh, Wikipedia, not always great, because I thought I'd done my due diligence and I got there and everyone was like, nah, this is it. What do you what do you put in this list for? And I was like, oh, God. So um, I immediately got rid of it and ran it as a regular Hetzer because that's what they had. Um, But um, it was gross. And I'm glad they were banned in Australia in version one because they were, without having rolled a hit in the the big range and everything else, they were were ridiculous. Um, And I think a lot of people still have a bad taste in their mouth because of that. Um, That said... They're really good, and um, I, think, yeah, I just think they're balanced now because just having that roll to hit and just like that, um, yeah, just that kind of the difference um, in rolling between the ranges and that kind of thing. Um, because you pay, yeah, you have to pay for the long range penalty, and um, yeah. and you're not in the point blank range if you're at, outside of six inches. Um, so I think they're balanced, and they they still take some skill to use. But um, yeah, I'm super surprised that there was only one um, out of seventy. So sure. I say I still think they're really good, and I think that people are afraid that it might lead to feel badsies. And I think definitely there's a hangover as far as feel badsy wise about them. Um, but again, I think they're way more balanced. So um, yeah, I think I need to play with more version two flamethrowers, vehicle ones, <laughs> to see how they work. Maybe to be played against. I don't know. I still 
get a weird shiver down my spine when I say the word vehicle flamethrower. So, yeah, <laughs> uh, I know I'm programmed a certain way. So, um, all right. Well, I guess the next thing to look at, and I guess we talked about it a little bit, given how few of some nations there were present, uh, Japan, I'm looking at you, um, and given the presence of things like dog mines, um, I guess it's not terribly surprising that there was only 13 anti-tank rifles at the event. Uh, roughly 19-ish percent of the field had an ATR. Um, I don't know. Uh, very few people had multiple ATRs. In fact, I think there may have only been one. Um, it was a lot of people just took one. I think they just happened to be a good cheap order dice and um, give you the ability to deal with soft skins, perhaps, if I'm going to get perhaps a little more analytical. Um, Lucky, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, ATR is like kind of one of those things. It's like you don't really expect them to do much, um, but when they do, like they can find, be, you know, they can be useful being like an almost sniper against uh, veterans or, as you said, soft skins. So, I mean, like 13 is probably, yeah, about about what I'd expect, I guess, in terms of how many um, armies would be featuring them. Um, I'm surprised only one, um, like, well, so there were seven Soviets, so I'm surprised there was only one list with multiple ATRs because, the, you know, generally you see um, Soviets taking advantage of the, the three for one. So, you know, they might take two or three. Yeah, well, that was one thing um, that we were talking about earlier. Uh, I know that when I was looking at making a Soviet list way back when, um, it was, if you take the political officer, the free squad, and three ATRs, which is what a lot of Soviet lists do, um, if you're taking a thousand-point list, you basically get five order dice for something like, I think it's 107 points, um, mm. which is astonishingly good. Um, because then you just have 900 or you know 890 points to build the rest of your list with, and you already have an order dice advantage in some cases than the people around you, which means you can take stupid things like KV-2s, um, which, of course, aren't stupid, but are expensive, <laughs> but you can take them, and you're maybe not in the order dice hole that you might be otherwise. Of course, some of those dice aren't terribly resilient. Um, however, you do have that advantage as far as early game pulling dice out, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. yeah no they're just super useful um i think people some people can run into the trap of running you know multiples of them for the sake of it though i guess so you do have to be careful yeah. um because uh like de depending on what's in the rest of your force as well so i mean they've got to synergize with your list yeah exactly um, but you know sometimes they can just sit around being useless if you don't have a clear plan for them yeah i mean my plan for mine was always that i always used and i used mine in my earlier war German list for a long time, which was to put an ATR on a road, um, put it in ambush and wait for the nearest truck to pop out. Given that I was used to a lot of trucks being in the meta, that was a great, you know, people had to think twice. Ooh, Absolutely. am I going to drive my truck down there? Well, are you? I'm right <laughs> here. I'm ready for you. Um, and I think and it was more of a deterrent than it was actually effective, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's funny because it's like it might be um, statistically unlikely for the ATR to actually hurt, you know, like to do more than a pin against their soft skin. Yeah. But right, they might just double, you know, uh, you know, double take and be like, oh, am I going to run down there? And actually, they'll they, they won't risk it, and we'll you know go down, you know, the other flank or whatever. Which, 
if they're not utilizing that road, you know, that's a win to you. It is, especially for what, 30 points? Mm. Mm. Nice. My, my, my favorite is actually to run um, an ATR in, yeah, like an armored transport or something, like a, like a Bren carrier or um, uh, the the Lafley six-wheel truck, mm-hmm. uh, the French, because like just so you can get both both weapons firing. Yeah, that is a uh, that is a classic. That's a classic maneuver. Need a small team? Boom, there's one. Stick it in. Um, mm-hmm. Well, while we're talking small teams uh, and talking about slightly surprising numbers, uh, six people took medics. Um, now, I have heard very recently that nobody should take medics because they're terrible, which <laughs> I don't agree with. I don't know if you guys said that. I'm pretty sure I heard that on another podcast. Um, could have been off. <laughs> it could It could have been. I, I think it may have been snafu. Um, but I think someone said, why would you ever take a medic? Well, six people took medics at this event. One of the top 10 people took a medic. Um, I think it is just a really cheap order dice that um, can possibly save some guys. So, again, uh, I was actually surprised to see that many medics. Uh, but, yeah, it was uh, it was good to see that unit on the board. Yeah, I'm surprised to see six medics as well. What I generally see is... Um there is some newer players taking them because like it's generally like some of the starter boxes come with a medic or something Mm -hmm. like that. Um, So they'll, you know, they they might only just have a thousand points if they throw in a medic and a couple of those kind of like weirder units. But yeah, Um, hopefully some people found some value out of them. I would be um, interested to see, um, yeah, how many how many guys actually get saved by it? <laughs> I was very interested in, and I was interested when I started noticing medics and lists, and I actually had to create. Um, it's at the bottom of the page because it was one of the things that I looked at and went, "Oh crap, I forgot to include that. Let me add that to the bottom." Mm. Um, and in doing so, I started noticing what kind of list they went in, and I would say it was a about a fifty fifty split um, between you know lists that maybe didn't have a clear direction without someone explaining it to me. And again, I'm not saying those aren't great lists. I just didn't necessarily see the synergies versus Mm -hmm. lists that were at least three of those medics were in hyper tuned lists, um, lists that you looked at and went, Oh, I get what you're doing here. I see your plan of attack to, to a degree. Um, you definitely have a plan. Um, and so those were definitely very experienced players. Um, and that's without looking at names. And just going, ooh, ooh, interesting. So I think um, people are finding uses for medics, which I thought was great because it's one of those units that I'd love to see more of on the tabletop. Yeah, that's for sure. I mean, ironically, I reckon um, medics would probably be pretty good in a um, in a horde style Japanese army. Yes. Um, if you've got a you know like a lot of bodies running up the board, um, taking you know a lot of. Um, uh, small arms fire, um, not really caring about the pins that they take as well. Then if you have a medic, you know, kind of pro- projecting a six-inch bubble or whatever mm-hmm. um, the range is, um, so it can, you know, kind of clip two or three units, um, you know, that that's going to be saving some guys. It is. And it's a cheap order dice, which mm. I guess not, the Japanese don't necessarily but... need. <laughs> Sorry, what's that? I said not very thematic of the Japanese, but... Um... Hey, they had medics. Um, yeah, if you're running the inexperienced bamboo horde, maybe not, but... Yeah, that's, um, what, I'm, that's what I was more inferring to. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I ran a Japanese horde, and my Japanese list tends to be very infantry-heavy, but mine's regular. Um, it's just a ton of regular riflemen. Um, and I think a medic, when in the way you're describing that, would fit perfectly. Um, so I yeah. may have to paint up a medic. 
Oh, boy. Oh, yeah. Uh, all right. Well, let's talk about something else that I thought was very surprising. Uh, so I didn't differentiate between the two. I sort of kit bashed or bashed them together into one slot. But Bazooka slash Panzerschrecks, 15 of them. Man, um, that is different from, <laughs> from the olden days. There was mm. a lot. Um, particularly, I, I think... I want to say roughly two-thirds of those were bazookas and one-third of those were Panzerschrecks. But there were lists that had two uh, bazookas. Uh, at least one list had two bazookas. And I, I was just looking at it going, wow, that's a change from the older days, especially with five Panzerschrecks, because people mm-hmm. were like, oh, they're too expensive. But man, the people are using them. Um, oh, I really I really rate them um, in, in second edition. Yeah. I mean, like people kind of complain that... Um, Oh, you know, like they're expensive or that they're sniper bait or, or, you know, those kind of things. But I, I just think they're really, um, really valuable units. I mean, like uh, I've never really I've never played with one as my armies don't allow it. But, you know, like I pe- played with a payout and I, I can see the value of that um, even with 12 inch range. So I'll, I'd be frothing if, if it had 24 inch range. You can kind of, um, you know, put it in cover. Um, so it's hard to kill unless, of course, you're a sniper. Um, yes. and, but yeah, and just basically create a no go zone for a tank, um, and say, you know, do, do not come anywhere within 24 inches of me or even 30 inches of me because you can, you could advance and fire as well if you want to be brave. Yeah, absolutely. And related to that, Piats who, you know, have been for years were universally poo-pooed, um, eight players had Piats. I think that mm-hmm. has to do with a large number of UK lists present but still eight of them so what is that eight out of 12 um uh, so- well you also got to um include the australians uh because correct the, the australians are also You're quite right. useful um yeah i don't know like uh i i think they i think they're decent they're not like they're not game breaking or anything but like you know they can just become a be a deterrent like a lot of other close range kind of anti-tank um, weapons like what do you think yeah, I mean, they're notoriously short-ranged, um, but I've definitely had my vehicles blown up uh, mm. by them badly. Uh, I am thinking back to a day where uh, Anthony uh, took out my flame tank with, uh, this is way early days, with the Piat back when people said they were very bad, and he proved they very much weren't. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, you got to respect them, but um, I learned to avoid them because of that. Mm. Oh yeah, and if you're in a if you are a player with um like a tank or whatever, and you see a Piat or you know even you know like a Panzer Shrek or whatever on the other side of the board, it's like you got to deal with it, or else you can't go forward. Like yeah. that's just 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 how it is. And you don't want your tank, you know, sitting on the back lines, you know, taking long shots because it's going to be a lot less effective than if you're you know running in and actually threatening um uh this you know their opponent's squishy units on the on the other side of the board. Agreed. Yeah, man. Well, also getting into super surprising, um, only two lists, and I do need to explain this one. Mm-hmm. Only two lists had multiple launchers at the event. Um, now, I pulled Katusha's out of the vehicle slot, and I put it in multi-launcher because I wanted to see how many multi-launchers there were in total. So of the two multi-launchers, one is a Katusha and one is not. Um, I believe one's a Nebelwerfer. So that means mm. of the 70 players, there were only two, which at one point 
you couldn't walk. I mean, you could walk from table to table on top of multi-launchers at CanCon. And now there's two out of 70, um, which I thought was astonishing. I was, uh, I was blown away when I looked at the final numbers and went, wait, there was only two? And I actually had to go back through a bunch of lists to make sure that I didn't miss them. But no, there was only two. Um, what are your thoughts about that? Um, yeah, I mean, I haven't seen many multi-launches on the table just in general, so um, I'm not super experienced in playing them, but um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, it's Only two is, yeah, very underrepresented for sure. Mm. And one autocannon, as in not on a vehicle, as in as its own separate anti-aircraft slot, there was one Bofors in the entire event. Um, that's not wow. terribly surprising, um, but given that that's probably how many we usually saw, um, you'd be like, oh, someone took a bow first. Cool. Um, but it's, it's, it's interesting because I think the, the, the bofers are actually pretty good. Um, but they generally, um, just get, because they, it's, it's, it's hard. And I guess like, I want to touch on this a little bit, um, when we get to howitzers and anti-tank guns, but because they, they all kind of compete for the same slot. Yeah. It, it can be it can be difficult to get the the auto cannons in, even if they they do you know like they're valuable pieces. Yeah, agreed. And it it does require a tell. Um, the heavier auto cannons, in particular, I know that I was going to run fins at CanCon one year. Um, the last year I went, and uh, I had to pull out because I couldn't get it painted in time. But I had a Bofors in my list, and I found out after I submitted my list that my list was illegal because I didn't realize that heavy autocannons at the time, they've made it clear now that they do, but back in version one, it wasn't always clear that heavy autocannons needed a tow. And so I had to shoehorn a tow into my list, which I never actually did because I ended up switching to British. But, mm-hmm. but that's, I mean, again, that is something that requires a tow. So although Bofors are remarkably cheap, as you're saying, they do compete for that slot against howitzers and AT guns, and they do require a tow, which is an investment of more points. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, just, just just difficult, like just decision making for for um for the players, and um yeah, I mean like it's it's good, but yeah, it'd be good to see more bofers on the table. Yeah, definitely. Well, let's this- talk let's talk howitzers and AT guns while we're at it. Um, sure. So. Because it's all the same slot, as you said. So, of the, would you like to start with AT guns or howitzers? Um, well, I'll, let's go with howitzers. All right. So, howitzers, uh, twenty-four players, or roughly thirty-four percent of the field, had a light howitzer. So, thirty-five, thirty-four percent light howitzer. Fifteen percent of the field had a medium howitzer, and there was one heavy howitzer at the event. Um, I, again, having not played at CanCon in a long time, I was expecting, and I know there's some local players in Melbourne that quite love their medium howitzers. I was expecting to see way more medium howitzers. I was surprised at how many light howitzers there were. Um, now as an interesting aside, and we'll talk about this again in a minute when we get to mortars, but quite a few lists Almost every one of those 24 howitzers was in a list with a medium mortar. Um, mm-hmm. So those two were paired up a lot. Um, are, those are my basic yeah, observations. Look, I mean, Where are you going, Lockie? 
I'm super not surprised because I, I mean, like personally for me, I, I think the the two most efficient um, units in the game is a light howitzer and a medium mortar. Um, now, I mean, you're comparing the light howitzer to the medium howitzer. So I think in V1, the mediums were just like hands hands above um, the lights. So much you, better, yeah. It was two d six rather than one d six. But um, in in V2, so the light the light howitzer's got the two inch template compared to the three inch template, mm-hmm. which I mean, yes, um, you know, like it's it's definitely smaller, but a lot of the time it doesn't make much difference um, because of the way that you can actually place the the two inch um, uh, template to yeah. you know to clip you know enough guys anyway. So generally, it's not making much difference there in terms of the damage that you're doing. It's plus two rather than plus three, yeah. which again. And um, unless you're shooting at veterans, uh, it's it's exactly the same. Um, and uh, then, but then when it comes to pins, it's both both a light and medium do D three pins. Exactly. Um, and so what I I mean, like the thing is, like the lighthouses are just um, you know they're they're, they're cheaper um, and they do you know like it's I, I don't want to say trivially, but like. It's not that much less damage. Yeah. Yeah, I I was shocked. And then I know we talked a little bit off air about that. And from what you're saying now, that makes absolute perfect sense. I think that light howitzers have definitely hit their heyday. And mm. um, I'm okay with that. I, I quite like the idea, um, especially since how feel badsy causing um, medium and heavy howitzers could have been in version one um, mm. because you could just delete units delete them i mean big ass unit doesn't matter <laughs> dead now there's a much greater chance you're going to survive and i think that really leads to you know less hard feelings when you're hit by these things uh what do you think yeah for sure um i mean like there's nothing wrong with a medium howitzer as well like you can take it and like you you'll get good results um, I just think in terms of it, like it, pure efficiency, the lighthouse is better um, yeah. because it's cheap. Yeah, because it's cheaper. Yeah, and they are again taking up that same slot. Um, mm. Did you want to move on to AT guns? So yeah, for sure. Um, because I think like it's really interesting as well. Like you, you, you talk about um, how the Bofors, um is underrepresented uh, mm-hmm. because it takes the same slot as the howitzers. Um, and that's I, I think that's the same with the AT guns. So what? There's 20 AT guns in total. Yes. Um, do you want to just break them down for I us? I will. Uh, thank you very much. So it's 11 light AT guns, uh, or sorry, uh, so that's about 16% of the field. Uh, six medium AT guns, or roughly 9% of the field, or three heavy AT guns, which is about 4% of the field, and no super heavies, no 88s this year. Um, now that I was surprised by that, I would have figured there's usually an 88 somewhere. Now, if you want to think about the tanks that arrived, um, on the day, there was of course a Panther and I believe a Panther has a super heavy, doesn't it? Or maybe it's a heavy AT gun. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I should know I've run it enough. Um, however, uh, I was, I was surprised we didn't see more big AT guns, um, and I was way more surprised by the number of light AT guns um, that were present. I was shocked at how many there were. Um, and yeah, medium AT guns as well. I, I thought that was pretty cool. Um, what are your thoughts? 
Yeah, um, I, I definitely um, I'm surprised at the amount of light AT guns. I mean, like, uh, I think light AT guns are really bad. Um, and you what? know, like, I love them. No, they they. I mean, like, in a, the thing is, in a vacuum, they're like they're probably fine, but um, they're just competing for the slots, right? Yeah. Like, why would you pay pay fifty points for a light AT gun when that that same fifty points gets you a light howitzer? Um, um, and you can take one or the other. <laughs> uh, I mean, medium AT guns, like I can definitely see a use in them. Um, and same with heavy AT guns, but they're just start, starting to get expensive for that one shot. Um, yeah. and I mean, like hats off if you take them, I think they're the, the less good choice than the howitzers. And I think, um, that's, uh, kind of what the stats tell us as well. Uh, but yeah, I mean like that, I think like if you want to run an AT gun, like you, you'll be fine, but yeah. You're just not taking the best option. Yeah. I mean, I, again, I think it comes down to synergy with your list. Um, I ran my DAC um, at quite a few events. Um, they were they are by far the army I've played most in bolt action. And in literally, I think, every game bar one, I had a light AT gun in it. And that was because mm-hmm. the rest of my list didn't. I, I, I did not have the AT assets because I typically ran... Um, a triple two or um, some sort of um, like a bison or um, I don't know. Yeah. So I, I did not have the AT asset that would give me, and if I ran into a tank, I was screwed. And so I absolutely needed something there. And for 50 points that got me what I needed. And I could just like the, uh, it was like I used almost the same philosophy as I used ATRs, which is I would set up, you know, I would set it up in behind a wall or in a building, um, in version one anyway, but um, in version two behind a wall or, you know, in cover next to a road. And if someone's going to come at me, well, they have to deal with that. And it, again, it was a deterrent. Mm-hmm. Um, was it super effective? Eh, sometimes. Um, well, but- I, yeah, just it's funny because like I actually think that the like, even a light howitzer is actually better um, at, at shooting um, vehicles than the the light AT gun because like it's it's actually so much you only got one shot right and it's very difficult to actually get through armor like you might mm. hit um, but you know like you've got to have another armor roll and then you've got to roll on the damage table mm-hmm. so it's actually quite difficult to kill really any tank let alone if it can actually penetrate it and it's only plus four um, uh, with a forty eight inch range. Um, but I find with the howitzers, like you're doing the D three pins and that's what's the, what's actually more valuable. Yeah. Um, so with a light howitzer, um, if you're shooting, uh, an armor nine vehicle, like, mm-hmm. so you can, you can still glance it on the side. So it's not, um, uh, like on a four plus. Right. It, you're not walking it off on a four up. Exactly. Mm. But if it is uh, like even even if it's at its front, like if you're shooting it at its front um, with the light howitzer, you can just uh, go for the indirect shots to try and um, yeah, uh, that's true. Yeah, hit the top armor, and you can still penetrate it. Oh, so you can still glance it doing that. Um, I mean, and that's generally what I do. Just go for the pins. Like it's D three pins is much more valuable than. Uh, like in my mind than trying to shoot it with a anti-tank gun. See, I liked the, and I, I'm absolutely picking up what you're putting down there. I like it. Um, I took the AT gun because I liked the fact that um, with the plus four armor pen, you are always, you, you, almost anything you can hit on the front um, and it can't just ignore it. 
it's it has the possibility of like doing a hard pin on you. It isn't you don't have to hit it in the side. You can hit it on the front. And yes, it only does one pin, but if then that tank, if you're using it on ambush, then that tank suddenly has one pin when it's trying to shoot at you. Um, mm. which, you know, which is kind of how I used it. Um and yeah, uh, there was something else from what you were saying that it it's saying to me. But I, I yeah, that's why I did it. Um, again, it was for that. But I'd be lying if I ever said I ever used a light AT gun in, I think, any of my other... Oh, no, my Chinese have had one. Um, <laughs> but the Chinese have almost no AT. And so um, I had to put it in. Um, yeah. yeah. For sure. I, the thing is, like, you know, as I said before, like you can do well with them. Like I'm sure mm. like... I'm sure they're fine, but yeah, it's um I just think there's better options. Yeah, don't get me wrong. Light lighthouts are far more versatile. Um, but you know, again, I think it comes down to synergies. Anyway. Um well let's talk about <laughs> the two most common uh occurrences in lists. Now, these two were neck and neck. Uh in fact, uh the one that came second was actually in first for most of the data compilation. It wasn't until I got to the very end that all of a sudden a bunch of other numbers squeaked in. Um, and that is mortars versus snipers. Um, now, mortars, uh, we had five people take light mortars, so that's 7% of the field. 37 people uh, took medium mortars, and as I said, seven of those 37 had two medium mortars. Um, maybe I didn't say that, but yeah, two of those, sorry, seven of those 37 um, had double medium mortars and that is about 40 sorry 53% of the field and then heavy mortars there was five of them with about 7% of the field um now that's that's about exactly what i expected i guess i expected a few less medium and a few more heavy but um as you say given the switch to templates in events um i'm more playing narrative these days um that makes more sense as you say medium mortars are very efficient um are you surprised by those numbers um uh, i think just like the spread um i'm not surprised that um like yeah medium mortars are just really good i'm probably surprised that seven lists had their double mortars um i mean like that's i'm not, not that i'm surprised but i just find that super interesting um that people uh, are wanting to take the second platoon just to get the um, additional mortar in i mean maybe they're taking another slot somewhere else um uh, but yeah, I mean, that, that's interesting. I think five light mortars, um, I mean, like that's not many, but I think light mortars are really bad. So, um, I mean, it's good that they're seeing some table use, I guess. And then the heavy mortars, yeah, like with only five there, I mean, again, that's not surprising just because, as you said, the, the medium mortars are just more efficient. Yeah. I mean, and if we go to the top 10 players, and I'm sure we're going to have to come back to this in a second, um, five of them had medium mortars. Um, but what I thought was interesting was two of them had light mortars. Um, so again, it's like somebody's, I, I think it, it absolutely fit in with someone's synergy and point totals um, for some people's lists. And I think uh, also historically what some armies could take. Mm. So yeah, it was very interesting. Um, and of course, I did bury the lead. The most popular thing in anyone's list at uh, CanCon this year was the Sniper. Um, I hear a lot of internet people cheering and um, saying, yeah, of course, in the background. Uh, 41 players had snipers. Uh, that is roughly almost 60%, 59% of players had them. 
Uh, now, three lists had two snipers, um, which is what I said before. So, yeah, interesting. Um, now, what is particularly interesting is if you go to, again, the top 10, 90% of the lists, nine out of 10 lists had a sniper. So, yeah, take that. Um, super interesting. I mean, like, everyone knows that snipers are really good. They can have a big impact on the game. Like, mm-hmm. if, if you need to kill, um, you know, like a Panzer Shrek or a Flamethrower team or whatever, snipers are, are always going to be the best way to do it. Um, but uh, I, I don't think they're an auto include. I don't think they're the best option in terms of a support team. Um, I've already met, uh, you know, said my opinions on mortars mm. and, and lighthouses. So I don't think that snipers are an auto include. Um, so it is surprising that they are, you know, the most popular. But I mean, like, I guess the numbers speak for themselves. And when you look at the top 10, 90% of yeah. those lists had a sniper. So, I mean, like, what do you reckon? Like, do you think they're, they're an auto include? Uh, so a million years ago, I wrote an article on on uh, support teams for WWPD, which eventually became boltaction.net. Um, which became the Bolt Action Alliance and other things. But it was um, small teams in Bolt Action and, and how to put pressure on your opponents. And um, I recommended the use of a sniper, a medium mortar, and if you had the capability, an anti-tank rifle. I said the anti-tank rifle for what I talked about earlier about putting pressure on soft skin vehicles that might your opponent might be using to run up and punch people, which was far more prevalent in version one. I said the medium mortar um, to be able to range in on artillery pieces, because again, the medium howitzer was sort of ubiquitous in um, version one. And it was a it was a way to put pressure on it to stop it firing and get him to make him move. Um but then getting to the sniper, the sniper was the way to put pressure on your opponent to make them move small teams into places that is not optimized so they don't, you know, risk losing, for example, their, anti- uh, their, a- their ATR, their, um, their mortar team, you know, whatever else, their, their flamethrower team. There are, they're very useful tools for putting pressure on your opponent. And I think, like, they're very useful and they do a lot of damage. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that they mitigate a lot of the shooting penalties in the game just by the way their rules work is super effective, like flamethrowers. Um, you're still rolling to hit, but if you hit, they're really effective. So mm-hmm. um, I, yes, I'm a little surprised that they were so common, but I'm not surprised at all. Um, I, think that, I think they're still super useful, um, but adding to that, I, I sort of mentioned when I was talking about it that medium mortars and snipers were neck and neck numbers wise going through the list. And that's because there was a huge number of lists that had both. Um, and uh, again, I think it's for similar reasons. I'm definitely not saying because of my article yeah. that was a million years ago, but I think a lot of players use them to put pressure on their opponents to, to make it a more tactical game. Yeah, for sure, and they're just great. Po- they're, they're great options for for fifty points. You know, like um, yeah, they're, they're easy, easy to put into a, a into a, um, an army. Like they just slot right in. Um, I mean, people like you know, snipers are kind of one of those romantic kind of um, mm-hmm. uh, pieces as well. You know, like 
there's a lot of you know uh, you know movies or literature mm. about you know like American snipers and all these you know these badass dudes um, with massive kill counts or whatever. So it's like I think people like like enjoy running their snipers. Um, they definitely don't like it when their sniper gets shot by the other guy's sniper round one. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. So I mean, I think that's probably I mean maybe that plays a role. I'm not sure, but yeah. What do you reckon? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and they're terrifying. If I mean, watching, you know, going back to movies like Band of Brothers or Enemy at the Gate or um, I, I know Band of Brothers isn't a movie, but you're with me. Um, <laughs> a sniper coming out of nowhere is a terrifying prospect um, mm. if you're not expecting it. And I think that, you know, that for those of us who love World War II, and if you're playing this game, that's probably you, um, they're, as you say, a romantic option. Um both because I, you're heroically, there are those heroes that are famous for it, and also because they are terrifying. Yeah, it's it's interesting as well because I mean I know J, um, JL, um, one of my co-hosts on the Bacon Burgers, um, you know, brings this up a lot in in terms of like particularly in the early war stages, um, it wasn't actually that common for um, for armies uh, to have dedicated snipers. You know, right. you might have a sharpshooter. Or something marksman, in one of yeah. in, in a unit, yeah, marksman in in you know like your your, um, your infantry sections and that kind of thing. But they they weren't dedicated snipers that were um, trained specifically to to take out um, officers and mm-hmm. those kind of things until maybe the late war. And certainly not all armies were doing that, which is definitely um, uh, you know you, you don't get that impression from seeing all all of the snipers in bolt action. Um, yeah. Uh, armies <laughs> yeah it is a little hollywood uh cinematic uh feel and flavor that bolt action always has and i think that that i think the high sniper count definitely plays into that i mean if you want to get into the nitty-gritty some of the big at guns and tanks really wouldn't be on the tabletop in this game either but um it is and uh, i think the rules are really good and that's why we see them um, oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah I think that pretty much sums up the the pool, um, sort of the main thrust of this. Uh, Lucky, is there anything before we get into the top ten that you want to talk about? Because we we've, we've talked about a lot um, of yeah, numbers a lot of, and trends. A lot of content, um, the listeners to take in. Um, uh, I, I think we've covered uh, the field pretty well. Um, uh, and definitely, I think it's time to go to the top 10. <laughs> all right, let's do it. Uh, all in all, though, I, I do I want to quickly draw a quick little circle around the field. Um, in total, I was really happy um, as someone who worries about, you know, maybe the game going places that you know, might be a little more aggressive or a little more competitive and a little less fun. Um, that worries me because, I mean, it comes down to context. I know that I've joked with some of the guys on the Juggernaut, pa- Juggernaut cast in the past, um, Topher, I'm, I'm talking to you, um, about um, and about how context is what matters. Um, I know in their context, you take more aggressive lists than we would here. Um, and he would agree with me. He does agree with me that he, if he came to Australia to play a CanCon, he would not run the kind of list he does in the UK. It just, it, it wouldn't match. It would, he wouldn't enjoy that. His opponents wouldn't enjoy that. No one would enjoy it. It would be a bad scene. So having been away from CanCon for a long time, um, I have a very romantic notion of it, um, it being the big show for CanCon and, uh, sorry, for uh, Bolt Action, a game that I love so much that I loved that looking at these lists, 
it was not, you know, mega efficiencies. It wasn't highly tuned lists, you know, everything tuned to the moon. It wasn't everything min-maxed to the best. It was so much fluff and flavor. And going through these lists, I, I have been inspired in a way that I haven't been in years to look at army building at bolt action. Um, and I, I, I know I haven't been to CanCon um, in years, but <clears throat> that comes down to more personal reasons than the game. Um, and I am, oh, man, I, I, I know I haven't been going, but I would recommend if you have the capability of going to go. Because as soon as I am able to go to CanCon again, I will. Um, and I will be going probably to play bolt action. And by probably, I mean like 95%. Um, and just looking at these lists not only was inspiring for me as an army builder and creator, but as a player to know that this is where we're at is just mm -hmm. awesome. So, yeah, as a whole. Yeah, and, and, and just to add on to that, Brad, I mean... Um, for any of your listeners who um, who have never been to CanCon, but you know, like, are, are kind of interested in going, or you know, want to go in the future, mm. um, like, it's not just like all the like, art, like the lists that are you know really cool and like pretty diverse, but it's you know all the tables and the terrain is just like seriously top notch. It's like it's some of the best terrain out of all the systems at CanCon. Um, you know, like the community puts in so much uh, extra work into the the terrain. Um, and the tables to really uh, make an immersive experience. Um, and I mean, I, I think that makes the community so so much richer um, uh, for it. Amen. Amen. I could not say it better myself. And yeah, there's just uh, the painting, the terrain, the camaraderie. it's it's amazing. Mm. Um, all right, well, let's let's get let's get into the top ten. Um, so, top ten. We have. Nationwise, and I know we've talked about some of these things, so I'll be brief about some of them. We have USA two players, so twenty percent USA, three UK players, um, so three British players, one German player, two Soviet players, one Australian, and one Bulgarian. So eight allied, two Axis. Um, I was surprised by those numbers, but I was also surprised that there was no Japanese. So. Um, hmm. I think there were more allied in general, um, to a wide margin in the total pool. So I guess it, it reflects that in the top. Um, but given how many people are talking about how strong Germans are these days, uh, I was a little surprised that there was only one. Mm, yeah. I mean, I think it's a pretty even spread. I mean, like uh, in, in the top 10, like the difference between one or two isn't, you know, like it, that's just what it is. I mean, you've got the Bulgarians there, which are, you know, uh, pseudo German as well. Mm -hmm. um, although it is really cool to see the Bulgarians in the top 10. Don't get me wrong. That's oh, yeah. really cool. It's awesome to see the Australians um, in the top 10. Um, uh, like, yeah, that's close to my heart. So, uh, you know, whoever came uh, in the top 10 with Australians, well done. But yeah, for, for the other, the big, the top four, oh, sorry, the big four nations, uh, you know, that's pretty standard, I think. Yeah, agreed. Um, well, let's look. So special rules wise, we have one tiger fear causing unit, uh, a panther. We talked about that before. Um, four lists had tough units with tough fighters. Uh, from memory, I think only one of those had two. 
Um, I think most of those four had was just one unit in an entire army had Tough Fighter. Um, I have nothing marked for Stubborn, although I want to say there was one. Um, guys, I spent a long time putting this together, and I went through a lot of lists, but I am definitely not perfect. Um, I may have missed a Stubborn on this, and I want to say there was at least one list that had Stubborn. Um but I am not going to go back through at this point to double check that. Um, given that we're talking mm-hmm. about it now, hey. Um, but those are the breakdowns of special rules. Um, given how many units had Stubborn in the pool um, and how many had Tough Fighter in the pool, I am a little surprised by that breakdown, although Tough Fighter is really good and really cheap, so I guess I'm not. Um, Lucky, how about you? Yeah, I mean, it's it sounds about right. Um, yeah, Tough Fight is good. Um, like, it's not as good as it was, but um, to have four, you know, four lists with it sounds about right. Yeah. Um, now, to talk about the lists in general, um, I, I don't want to step on anyone's toes here to say that people's lists were um, cheesy. Um, that That is not what I'm saying. Uh, I want to be really clear about that. Um, in the top 10 and talking trends, not individual lists, um, the top 10 lists tended to be more finely tuned um, and the efficiencies were far more, I would say, considered, or at least they appeared to be, than a lot of the lists in the general pool, if that makes sense. Um, so reflecting that, we saw, for example, one first lieutenant um, and nine second lieutenants. I think um, people were using their points in other places. Uh, I am not surprised by that at all. Lucky? Uh, no, yeah, that sounds about right, to be honest with you. Um, I'm just, I've lost my place here. Where am I? Yeah, I mean, only having one first lieutenant, yeah, that's not surprising. Yeah. Um, and I think it tied in with people spending a lot of points on units. Um, as we said, 40% of the top 10 had four infantry squads and 60% had five infantry squads, which is a massive increase in squads than the general pool percentage-wise. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it, it being an infantry-based game that is often objective-based, um, there's a mix of scenarios, but I think most of them are objective-based. Um, I am not surprised that the top lists had a lot of infantry. Um, yeah, you need the infantry to get, you know, to hold the objectives. You need you need to be able to hold two in your backfield, then you need to be able to go and get at least one, maybe two other yeah. objectives. So you need enough infantry to be able to do that. And, you know, you can have some support teams that do, you know, that fulfill that function as well. But you really need uh, the four or five infantry to um, just to soak up the amount of fire that you know, and it, your opponent will, will deal out. Yeah, agreed. Um, now, two of those uh, lists had two platoons, but had five or fewer squads. I believe both of them had five, um, mm-hmm. but they took it to take more um, slots in other areas. Um, so again, the first lieutenant, second lieutenant thing, some of those lists had two. Um, so if we're talking efficiency-wise, maybe that's why they took two, two second lieutenants. I, I don't remember of the list off the top of my head. Um, there were a lot of LMGs in the top 10, although this number will not represent that. Only one list had three or more LMGs in it, uh, and it was not German. So um, I think there was a lot of lists that had two LMGs, 
Um, but they just didn't take the third one. And again, I think they were spending points on other things like infantry about squads. Aaron's <laughs> Uh, no. Um, although if we're talking efficiencies, um, I, I don't remember if the Bulgarians had the artillery observer. I, I don't actually remember off the top of my head. However, um, there are three British lists, um, which meant that three of those four artillery observers that were in the top 10 were free, but that meant that one person in the top 10 paid for it. Um, just a fun fact. Um, so... Mm-hmm. Somebody had a plan of attack, and it definitely worked. Um, as far as mortars go, we had two light mortars, which I mentioned before, and five medium mortars. So seven out of ten lists had mortars. Um, nine out of ten lists had snipers. Uh, two out of the t- out of uh, the ten lists had light howitzers. But interestingly, three out of the top ten lists had medium howitzers. Um, very scandalous. Yeah, I know, right? Woo, who would have thought? Lucky. Not there. Uh, they're bucking your trend. Um, no. And then AT guns. There was a one light AT gun and one medium AT gun. Uh, so that was interesting. Um, four of the lists had armored cars. Uh, one had uh, an AA gun uh, half track, uh, which we talked about before. Uh, three had light tanks. Five had medium tanks. And two had heavy tanks. So uh, all 10 lists had a tank of some kind. 30% of those were light. 50% of those were medium. Two of them were heavy. Um, Which, given how few heavy tanks there were in the event, that is really interesting. Um, Yeah, I was about to say, so there was was three or four? There was four um, heavy tanks. Four heavy tanks in total. Um, and so, yeah, having two in the top 10, uh, that's, that's interesting. I mean, yep. like considering a lot of people don't rate them. Yep. And only one of those had Tiger Fear. So there you go. Um, yeah, maybe heavy tanks don't stink. Um, there was four trucks. So 40% of the list had, sorry, 40% of the list had a truck or more. Um, 20% of the list had armored transports. Uh, there was one Piat in the top 10 and, uh, there were seven flamethrowers, as we talked about before, two anti-tank rifles, uh, so 20% of the list had an ATR. Uh, there was one bazooka slash Panzerschreck. Uh, there was a medic, as we talked about before. Um, one unit had dog mines. Uh, there was one of the two multi-launchers at the event were in the top 10. Um, and there was the autocannon. The only autocannon was in the top 10. So I thought that was really fascinating um, that some of those things. So if you actually go through, um, if you look at the howitzers, for example, there's five howitzers, there's two AT guns, and there's an AA autocannon. So six, seven, eight lists had something in those slots. Um, Two of them did not. Yeah, it's interesting that um, yeah the two didn't use one of those slots because like they they are a very valuable slot and you could probably fill them. But I mean, I guess um, like may I don't know maybe uh, the two lists with the heavy tanks didn't take those slots um, because you're spending a lot of points on the heavy tanks. But yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, it is. It is interesting. Um... Yeah, I think that may have been the case now that you mention it with the heavy tanks. That could explain the missing two. Hmm. I, I would have to maybe, go back and maybe check. Maybe not at least one of them, but yeah, I'm not sure. Mm. Um, like, yeah, I don't know. Like, I think I was kind of alluded to it before, but it's 
once you get into the top 10, you start seeing a little bit more of the cookie cutter style list, you know, like you've got your um, regular second lieutenant, you've got your four or five infantry squads, you've got your sniper, you've got your medium mortar, you've got a flamethrower, you've probably got a medium um, mortar. Uh, uh, yeah, you've got, got a medium mortar, you've probably got a medium tank, and then like your um, your artillery pieces, you know, depend on the flavor mm -hmm. of, you know, like, of what, probably what model you have or what what army you're, you're actually running. So, I mean, yeah, it, it seems like once you get in the top 10, they're a little bit like the lists seem to skew towards, you know, a certain build. Would you yeah. agree? Yeah. As I said, I think it, as I, and I think what you're saying is exactly the same thing. I think it, it comes exactly down to having a game plan um, and fine tuning your list to match that plan um, and really looking for the tools to get the job done. Um, and I think that really makes for streamlined, lean lists that um, really just cut out everything that doesn't help get the list across the line. Um, that said, I was really pleasantly surprised at how many lists in the top 10 looked genuinely historic. Um, there was very little in there that I went, oh, oh, ooh. Um, though people were very, you know, making these lists that were generally fine-tuned, um, they were also matching historically what was there as well, which I thought was just really special and cool. No one was running like a million howitzers and a million snipers and blah, 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 blah um, with like two infantry squads. That just didn't happen. Um, so it was really mm. nice to see that. I thought that was, especially at the pointy end, that was really cool. Uh, I'm glad that that happened. Um, yeah, it's like a particular at a thousand points, which is like it, it, it lets you have most of your tools, but probably not all like everything that you could want. Um, but I think like bolt action, like particularly the scenarios, like it, it's good because to do well, you do need, you know, a reasonably balanced list in terms of, um, you know, like I say, quote unquote balanced. But I mean, like it needs to be well rounded. It needs to cover all your bases. Um mm -hmm. But on the flip side, yeah, it does tend to um, shoehorn a lot of lists in, into a similar direction because there are clear, clearly better choices. Mm, agreed. Um, as much as Bolt Action, I think, is a, a pretty balanced game, there are things that are definitely better than others. Mm. Um, yeah. All right. Well, let's, let's get to the last little bit here. Uh, and that is the veterancy of the top 10. 40% um, of the lists were uh, mostly regular. As in, again, um, all regular except for a unit or two, if not entirely regular. Um, and that left 60% of the field being mixed. Um, and that was one thing I saw in the top 10. There was a lot of lists that had sort of a mixed bag of, it wasn't just one or the other. I mean, there was an often, you know, some veteran squads, but maybe some regular squads with some an inexperienced squad. It, it was, again, pleasantly not just, here's a bunch of veteran squads with some inexperienced mortars and, you know, a regular sniper and blah, blah, blah. There was none of that, um, which was, again, wonderful to see. Um, but it, it did sort of point to the fact that mixing the veterancy of your army is a way to help streamline your list um, if you are trying to get points to do if you have a game plan like people in the top 10 i think generally and clearly did if that makes sense 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think like certain units are just better um, at certain levels of veterancy. Mm-hmm. And once you start um, mixing, mixing and matching um, to, you know, to, to kind of suit you know, the more efficient choices, then like that's when your list is going to become better. If you're like generally, if everything's the same, the same level of veterancy, like it's going to be not as good. Agreed. Agreed. Although I, I, as a guy who almost always runs regular, it was nice for me to see four of those lists being almost entirely regular. I was like, yeah, haha, I'm not wrong. Because um, I get told that regular sucks on the regular. Um, anyway, um, going to move on. <laughs> um, Lockie, it, this has been a, a, a record-length episode of Cast Ice, and I cannot thank you enough for coming on today. Um, I know that... <laughs> It's it's been mind numbing with the numbers that we've been going through today, um, and I think it is. Uh, I think yeah. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. It I, I I'm a big fan of you on other podcasts, and it was just lovely to have you on this one. So thank you so much. No, thank you so much, Brad, for um, yeah inviting me on. We've been I think we've been meaning to um, cast together for a while. Oh and, yeah. Um, it was good that uh, yeah we finally had the chance to do so. It's been it's been good to be on um, and to talk shop. Um, hopefully the listeners, um, you know, like uh, I mean, there's a lot of numbers there, so hopefully we didn't butch them too much. Exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah, um, exactly. Uh, but you know, hopefully uh, everyone's found some value. Um, and if anyone else wants to listen to so you know me spew my crap, you can listen to me on uh, the Bacon Burgers. So check right. us out on Facebook. That's right. Um, that's Bacon Burgers, one word, I believe, Bacon Burgers podcast. Um, and if you look for them, their logo is uh, an eagle wearing an American helmet carrying, I think, a hamburger in its claws. So um, if, if you have not checked them out, please do. Uh, I do listen to their show a lot. Um, now, yeah, if, sure. if you are looking for these numbers and you want to follow along, um, I know at this point it's a little late, but it will be in the, the show notes. If you want to go back and double check any of the numbers of the things that we've been talking about today, um, if you go, speaking of Facebook, to Cast Dice, C-A-S-T-D-I-C-E, if you go to the Cast Dice page, um, I will post a picture at the same time that I post this episode um, within a few minutes of each other. Um, there will be a picture of the spreadsheet of both the pool, like the main uh you know the main pool of players for the event and the top 10 i will post them as separate i will post them in the same post as separate pictures um and you can see what poor locky has been watching me talk through for the last couple of hours um guys if you have any questions or if you have anything you would like to say about what we've talked about today i know we've been talking about a lot uh, please feel free to message the page. There is one person who answers that page. It's me, guaranteed reply. I always reply. Um, and if you don't message, if I don't message me back, and I will get back to you. Uh, I do love. I've been getting a lot of uh, messages in the last couple of weeks, um, and it has been awesome to hear from people, um, both with your ideas for where the show should be going, and for uh, you know just general love of what I've been doing. Um, I do appreciate it. It is a little weird to do this podcast kind of alone with guests because it means that sometimes I'm not sure of what direction to go and uh, getting that feedback is hugely important to me. So thank you. Um, And one last giant thank you has to go to Peter West, um, the TO of CanCon, without whom I could not have done this show at all. Um, thanks to him, I was able to get the information. Um, he had some very strict rules about how I was to present the information today. Um, we did not want to make any player at 
who played in CanCon uh, feel uncomfortable um, by talking about their lists in particular. Um, so today we were talking generalities. Um, I hope I've successfully done that. Um, but again, Peter, thank you so much. Um, uh, it's really easy to go to events like CanCon and to talk about your experience as though it was everyone's experience. And I hope that today's discussion of what we saw um, was confirming for a lot of people about just how strong and great the Australian bolt action scene is. Um, and I hope that if you have not been playing in events um, because you're worried about the competitive nature of them or the list that you might be seeing there, I hope this has been helpful for you um, to see it is a good time to jump in and play some bolt action. Um, regardless, though, no matter what game play, what game system you are playing, uh, be it bolt action or any other, I hope that your beverages stay cold. I hope your dice roll hot. But more than anything else, we at Cast Dice are hoping you are having fun. Good night. Are gone and they're trapped.